0: Maybe you could tell us where you were the night of the seventh. Where was I? What are you trying to say I was? Y'all come over here. What? Come watch the nefarious men, what they trying to do to me.
1: Yeah, on, oh. And you. How you gonna wear that badge? has got a little clip on it. Drop it.
2: Duncan and both come correct.
3: You know what sometimes you just YouTube shit just to see what comes up? Yeah, and, uh, I was like, "What if I if I you just type in Xanadu to YouTube search? Am I gonna find the incredible Olivia Newton John at the top of that list?" Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, and that <laughs> that restored some of my faith in just the institutions around us. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. I don't want to live in a world, Duncan, where a quick search of the term. Xanadu Mm does not immediately return that Australian siren.
1: Well, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I don't think you've been unreasonable in saying that.
3: Do you think Olivia Newton John is the Iggy Azalea of the of the early (laughs) eighties?
1: Maybe, maybe. I never thought it like that, but maybe.
3: You know that kind of flash in the pan.
1: Mm -hmm. Because
3: I mean, once Xanadu came out, people were like, "Oh no, we can't have her in movies." Yeah, <laughs> not really. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, <laughs> that, that
3: grease is a fluke. Sure, she looked great in black hot pants.
1: Yeah, but the second she, she s-
3: yeah, the second she stopped singing, though. Yeah, it's like what we're doing here. Yeah, I, this was a bad idea. <laughs> we thought it was the accent. Yeah. It turns out she just can't act.
1: God damn it, Stephen Caston! You told us she could act. Oh, that she is not the one that we want oh uh, uh, uh. sir i know man. thank you you're welcome i'm here all day uh welcome to duck
3: at <laughs> <Bo>. come correct <laughs> everyone son of
1: a bitch. i was gonna be at the cut I, know I was gonna be at the cut you son of a bitch uh
3: i will i will take your your jabs and jibes with pleasure <laughs> sir um <laughs> uh, i'm bo ransdell the one one of the hosts of this endeavor uh with me as always the lovely the talented uh the the Olivia to
1: Mike Newton John.
3: Oh, no. Duncan McLeish, how are you, sir?
1: Wishing that I'd not come on this call.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You're a liar. I have a polygraph hooked up to this recording. Yeah. And I can
1: tell when you lie. It was all lies. It was all lies.
0: I, no, I'm very
3: excited. So, like, just for the, the <laughs> listeners at home, for, for the sake of, I don't know, continuity, I suppose.
1: Yeah, we're bad, bad people. <laughs> yeah, well, so we...
3: D- and and in fairness, this was because you had a lot of travel recently.
1: And- yeah, I was away f- with work one week, and then I was like, oh, we'll totally catch up the next week, forgetting that I was in a completely different country the following week. So, right. Yeah. So,
3: you know, it's not like our heart's been in the right place. Mm -hmm. Uh, it it ain't because we we haven't wanted to it's just you know i have
1: sealed myself off pretty much from everything true detective as well purposely like both of us are in the same situation that as of the day of this recording we watched the two episodes that we are covering just now we have not went beyond that so we don't know neither one of us knows uh, because episode five is out by the time we've recorded this so we don't know what happens in episode five so once again very much in the spirit of what we do on Duncan and Bull come correct. We are encapsulating ourselves in a period um where there is new information out there, we're just not privy to it. So yes um, I bliss.
3: right we we are going to move forward <laughs> uh by covering episodes three and four this episode. Yes. The next episode will be five and six and then we will be on a regular schedule. We'll be Back and Bam Black! I hit the same. Ugh, okay. Cut um, <laughs>
2: sh- loose from the noose.
3: All right, let's just start over. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Duncan and Bo come correct, everyone. No, 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 no. Uh, so, this <laughs> <laughs> aside from the, the awful Angus Young impressions that you may hear, how dare you? I got nine lives! Cat size.
1: Uh, that hurts um, my well, a little bit. Yeah, because you just can't. You, you have to build yourself up to. You can't just like if I say you maximum overdrive bowl, oh, you can't just bust into that as if it was nothing.
0: Who made who? <laughs> who made <laughs> you? you? <laughs>
1: Maybe you can. I stand corrected. I'm gonna rock the hell out of you. <laughs> Like a, 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 a kind of weird cross between Jeff Bridges and John Wayne <laughs> yeah, that? That's kinda, that? isn't that Stephen King really kinda I think so yeah
3: you know it's like that scene from the birdcage where Nathan Lane does the John Wayne walk Oh, and, the and he's like oh was that? that wrong and he's like no I just never realized how gay his walk was before yeah she's never realized he walked like that yeah oh <laughs> uh. yeah Hey, man, so before we get into true detecting, as mm-hmm. is our want, and uh, and boy, there is some doings in, in, the, in, yeah. in these two episodes, some really fun shit. Uh, there, Man, there are two lines in this episode, uh, or in the upcoming episodes we're going to talk about tonight, that I, I made particular note of just like, that line was fucking
1: cool. There's, there was about like, and the thing is, I don't take notes, so I'm very much off the cuff on this. But there was about three or four things mentioned in this episode that I knew for a fact would tickle you pink. I was like, those are those are Ransdell lines, if ever I heard them. You know, the sort of the, the the sort of small attention to detail in the dialogue that I know specifically um, is your want from from TV shows that we we very rarely get. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot to love about True Detective this season. I, I mean, talk about coming out the fancies and just, just like, ah, uh, yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait. The the, 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 once again, the repeated, the repetitive use of phrases considering time. I'm like, right, we get it. right, <laughs> 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 fucking right, Nick. I just can't imagine like Nick Pissolato's like writing room is just all clocks, and they're all set at different times.
3: You're Some right. of them are,
1: are not even wound up at all. <laughs>
3: I am sure that the the times on the clocks have been stopped to mark important moments in his life. Oh yes, you know,
1: I love that. Uh
3: huh. I'm uh I'm pretty certain. Um, I
1: think I think the ones that were bought specifically for the Emmys he would have won for season two are still running.
3: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure, <laughs>
0: I'm a bad man.
3: You're, Ooh, Duncan's naughty this episode. <laughs> You're Mister Data.
0: Oh, people may run
3: about clucking their tongues, saying, "What has become of Duncan?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just gloating that I never had a TV show that got critically panned. Well, I still loved it anyway.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think we're pretty pretty easy on uh, on season two as, as yeah um but before we get out to all the true detective stuff mm-hmm. we we uh turn ourselves towards the the time-honored tradition on this show of of talking about what we've been watching one good one bad Oof. <laughs> and I watched a law <laughs> ball well <laughs> you know <laughs> you know the rules. All right. So, uh you tell me, Duncan, what should I A uh watch and have a delightful time enjoying and B uh
1: avoid at all costs. Um well, I've only really seen one what I would consider not great movie. I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. I would just say it's it has some issues. Um some big fucking issues. Uh, but there are moments in it where there are flashes of greatness. Um, and that would be Escape Room, Um, the new Sony horror movie, which was dumped in January because that's where you put movies in that you want to try and recoup some money back on like any money, like please give us some money. And the movie did really good money so much so that they're already talking franchise, which made me hate the world. Um, Escape Room is basically a writer's room which consisted of one person who was clearly a fan of Saw, uh-huh. one person who was clearly a fan of Cube, and one person who was like, Those are old movies, guys. I love Cabin in the Woods. Um, and when I said, If I said to you, this movie is a cross of those three, you may be excited because you'd be like, That Saw movie, that's a good movie. That Cube movie, that's a good movie. Everyone loved that cabin in the woods. This will be a great. And the problem is, when you watch it, it just reminds you that the three movies that it's it's emulating are just infinitely better movies. Um, it's it's got some serious issues, like serious issues. Not out, notwithstanding the dialogue, which is fucking terrible <laughs> for a for a a major cinema studio horror movie. The dialogue is. Fucking terrible. Um it's one, you're you're really selling it to me here. This is sounding oh, pretty good. One male character says to another male character who asks him about a scar he has on his thumb, and he says, Oh yeah, I got a like white water rafting or something. He goes, Oh, and the, the guy that's asking him is like a gamer, like geeky gamer guy says, Oh, did, can you still play computer games? And he's like, No, and they did oh, that's a, a bummer. And it's like, no, instead of playing computer games, and this is his words. I have sex with adult women, like a man says to another man in this movie, I have sex with adult women and that's the phrase and I was like, what, <laughs> one, no one speaks like that, two, as opposed to, what, I have sex with would women, not have been enough, I have sex with chicas, you know, like I have sex with adult women. And I kind of looked at the screen saying, this is some bad dialogue. This is some bullshit dialogue. And it gets worse as the movie goes on. Like, it just gets worse. It spirals down and gets worse. Um, When you start thinking of the physics of how this is possible, it's not possible. Um, And the escape rooms themselves start off kind of grounded in reality. And they're kind of cool when they're done that way. And then when they move into the realms of complete implausibility, that's kind of where I lose it. And then the movie has four endings. Oh. And I'm not meaning like as in clue. Like <laughs> you know, like, and maybe this is how it happened. No, the movie has four endings in the space of five minutes. The movie ends for as in fades to black and then comes back and says, well maybe, maybe this ending. <laughs> and then it fades to black has the gall to like fade out again six months later as if anyone gives a fuck and then the ultimate end of this movie is the one where they're like we clearly tagged this on at the end because we want a franchise and um, I I so badly want to wait till you have watched it so we can talk about the reveal right at the very end which is some straight up Inspector Gadget bullshit
0: right? (laughs) This sounds
1: great! no no it's it's, it's like it's it, the problem is the movie doesn't it tonally doesn't know what it wants to be if it wants to be full goofy and full camp i'm on i'm in with that a hundred percent give me that movie those were some of the more enjoyable bits in the movie if it wants to be full serious full saw you know what i mean or full cube then i'm totally in with that as well give me all of that movie. but when you try and create a hybrid of, like I said before, the the kind of all-knowing wink wink nudge nudge at the audience of Cabin in the woods. But you then try and mix it with the, you know, I want to play a game sort of ideas of the grittiness of Saw. And then you throw in Cube as an example of one room being a death trap to the next room. You need to work on how that tonally all works together. You need to put just a bit of thought into it. And it really feels like they had maybe two or three really good escape room ideas in there. And then they just, they did the, 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 uh, Gremlin, the JG. <laughs> they just went, they went round committee just asking, you get us an escape room. Everyone in this room gets to design their own escape room. You know, you, right. that's literally how it felt. And some of them are, Fucking stupid, like like stupid to the point where, when you realise that this is all set in a warehouse, the physics and dimensions of what are happening do not make sense, like at all. It's like where the fuck did they build this extension? Um, yeah, just like a like a hot mess. But I I would be lying if I if I I didn't say that there there's two really good escape rooms in it. And a couple of concepts, that I was like, you know, if you'd just done that for the whole movie, this would have actually been a great movie. But instead, what you did was you kind of panicked and you didn't know what you had. So you just did everything. And that, to me, undermines it. So, um, But it's done a, it's done fucking well over 100 million uh, last I read uh, worldwide. So I think we're in no... And they're already saying sequel, and the movie set itself up perfectly for a sequel. So I I dare say, an Escape Room Two will be incoming soon. And you sound,
3: you know, (laughs) rightfully excited about that.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd I'd be more excited if the franchise did in a way where the particular characters who survive, I don't have to spend any more time with. (laughs) You know what I mean? The ones that survived are not the characters that I want to spend any time with at all. Oh, there's hints of Final Destination in there as well in the movie. It's really, there's a weird nostalgia for the 90s now starting to creep in. Um, I noticed it with that Truth or Dare movie last year where they were like, this is basically Final Destination. Yeah. well, it's it, it's
3: it's that time, and we're thirty years on. Yeah, it's a twenty-year yeah. yeah,
1: 20, 20 cycle, so the, there's a weirdness to to what's coming out. But I I think I don't know. I think if I think the eighties gets a lot of gets a lot of leeway. Um, and that it was just plain goofy I think the 90s was such a weird time period for horror in general because we didn't want to call it horror then we did want to call it horror and then we hadn't learned from our mistakes that when you start ebbing them and emulating them on screen again and you're trying to modernise them, but you don't quite know how. I think it throws up some some big issues. I mean, this year, 2019, is essentially the year of the serial killer movie. So we're going to have that Zac Efron one. We're going to have Tarantino's Manson movie both out this year. And doesn't that feel like early 90s when we were getting movies like Scream and copy, eh, no, eh, Silence of the Lambs and Copycat and all the rest, all these movies about serial killers? So I think we're in this kind of 90s loop that we're going to get for a wee while. And I don't hate the 90s for horror, but there's a lot of fucking shit in there and it feels like people are trying to play with ideas that don't quite work. And Escape Room for me doesn't quite work. So, didn't hate it, but it's not a good movie. It's, it's not a good movie at all. And anyone that tells you it's a good movie is a fucking liar. <laughs> so, that's that's my bad goal. Uh, well again I'm still intrigued I think you should watch it just don't watch it at the cinema like uh. when, when that movie reaches one of the streaming sites which it will um check it then don't don't give it any money at the cinema and I think you should watch it and like i say, I think you will i will be surprised if you come back minus any of the issues that I have although I know for a fact that when the ending happens you will laugh you will laugh out loud. Uh, And I I so badly want to talk to you about the ending, but we need to wait until you've watched it.
3: Okay. All right. Um, All right. So that's your, your, I hesitate to call it bad because I'm excited (laughs) to see it. But uh, what, uh, what else you got going on uh, on the good side?
1: So I've watched fucking loads of good stuff, like, like loads and loads of good stuff that I have been spoiled um, once again, by Netflix, who really have delivered some great documentaries. Ted Bundy documentary, what a really weird one called "Abducted in Plain Sight." Which, Bo, if you've not watched that, watch that. It just i i i i flirted with that one. Oh, dude, watch and it! I was just it's like, like,
3: oh, this just looks like such a bummer.
1: What one of the greatest things? That, like, it's, it's a terrible story, right? <laughs> oh, it's a terrible story, it, it, right? But these, right. these are the dumbest fucking people on the planet. And there's, it's not funny, but it's that's kind of me, me, and my wife are watching it, and there's a particular thing that happens where this fucking horrible, creepy paedophile guy who befriends this couple of fucking mean, Latter Day Saint preaching people. Uh, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying not to. I think. Ha- if the bible didn't preach so much turn the other cheek and forgive and forgiveness and all that none of this would have happened but anyway um the guy decides that the way to get to the kid is to play the parents off against each other so he openly starts hitting on the mum Mm-hmm. And kind of distracting their attention, which I thought, right, that's right, that you know that that could happen. She maybe she's an unhappy marriage and all the rest. But then he decides he's also just going to hit in the dad. And there is a scene where the dad. Oh I'm, uh, I'm trying not to laugh because it's fucking tragic, and it leads to like twenty years of turmoil for them. But basically, the dad describes how he gives this guy a hand job in the in a car.
3: <laughs> sure, like <lucky laughs> you do.
1: And he's like, he's he's kind of looking off to the side. All oh, she like saying that was the worst experience of my life. But there's a kind of small wry smile at the back of it, which makes me think you liked that a bit more than you said. <laughs> I'm like honestly, is is the as a as a documentary which will constantly up the level of what the fuck are you? on about that you just said that you just did that after everything you knew and it just keeps going but that's not what i want to talk about but <clears throat> all right I'm, I'm, all right okay. so i'll give you an option of one or two right because okay. there's two that i really want to talk about so the first one is a new karen kusama movie destroyer starring nicole kidman so i could talk about that one or i could talk about the new nicholas pesh movie he's the guy that did in eyes of my mother and his new movie piercing I want so, to hear about Piercing actually because
3: uh, I've almost watched this.
1: Ah, right. So, uh, Piercing is his follow up to Eyes of My Mother, which came out two years ago now, I think. Three years ago ish, yeah. Yeah, it was a kind of small, weird indie art house movie that came out of nowhere, all shot monochrome. Um, it was foreign language, I think it was Argentinian. Um, and it had this distinct martyr's vibe. In there, but it's not as good as Martyrs. But there was a Martyrs esque vibe to the trauma in this movie, and it just generally was a beautifully shot, weirdly unsettling movie. Yeah, and I loved it. And I've been like his name since was linked to Piercing, which is based on the Ryu Murakami um novel. He's the guy that wrote a Audition, so <laughs> sure. Right. that's the world that's the world we live in here uh-huh. right so he was linked to that but off the back of that as well he's also he was given so we knew he was going to be doing that movie but also he was given the grudge reboot
3: right so, okay right i i was like i know he's doing something
1: yeah which that- we've just found out was has been delayed from this year to next year now so it comes out and wait for it January!
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I saw
1: that as well. That is not a great sign. It's not a great sign, however, great cast. Like, a great cast for that grudge mm. movie. And I for what it is, I, I think it's a great cast. And I like, and I want to double down on why I'm excited for the grudge reboot here off the back of Piercing, right? Because... Pearson's a really, really, really good movie. Like, really, really good. As in top tier for me this year thus far. But I get a feeling that his audience range is going to be niche as fuck, right? It is, is a movie that um, is ostensibly about a guy who is wholly unsatisfied. They've just got a newborn baby. He's wholly unsatisfied with his life. Um, and decides that he's got some violent tendencies. He doesn't know really how to exhibit them. Um, Not exhibit them, sorry, how to express them. So he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to go into the city, hire a hotel room, get an escort and kill her. Right? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's his his plan. So Christopher Abbott plays the guy. Um, I don't know where I know him from, but I know him from something. Uh, He's very good in this. And the escort that he hires is played by Mia Wasikowska, who is an actress I deeply adore. I mean, our performance as Stoker alone mm-hmm. has given her, you know, like she is untouchable for the rest of the time. Um, so she plays the, the prostitute. And um, so it's weirdly comedic, the movie. It's got this weird dark tone that runs through it. But what we find out is that maybe the prostitute is just as damaged, if not a little bit more damaged than... Our, our main guy we're following here um, and it only starts to exhibit when he starts to exhibit his violent tendencies. It's got a very, very, very powerful style to uh, it. Mean, I, I mean, for a guy that did a, a black and white movie previously, this one is, you know, hyper-stylized, beautiful colors, wonderful cinematography. And um, there's use of model buildings, which is really well done as well. you see what I mean when you watch it. Um, and I'll tell you what the big selling point for Pearson is. This movie is in and out in an hour and 20. Oh, right? I like that. Yep. And that's including credits, Bo.
3: Oh, oh, oh I like that a lot. Yep. Uh, I like so a movie that knows what it is and, and lets me know quickly. And then we're done.
1: Yeah, I don't think the novel's that big. I don't think Pearson, the novel, is a, a big novel. Um, so he, he's kept it short. He's kept it tight. We spend a lot of time with our characters. I don't feel there's any downtime in it at all. But where the movie really starts to kind of up things for me is it doesn't go as violent as you would think it would be, considering this guy did Eyes of, uh, Eyes of My Mother. But there is a... There's a... a a style and substance going on, not only in the foreground of what's happening in the movie, but in the background as well. It plays with all these ideas of kind of lust and love and what that means and human connection and interaction and finding a soulmate maybe. Um, and then there's musical themes as well. Whenever the guy's planning to do anything, you get movies directly from Jallo movies. So it plays like the score from Tenebrae. It plays like um, the red, Queen kills seven times is the <laughs> recurring motif that plays. So, like, like it plays specific things from the seventies from Jalo cinema. But when Mia Wasikowska is doing things, it's more kind of seventies kind of soul pop music that plays. So, as the characters are battling for supremacy, not only are the characters and their personalities battling for supremacy, but also the score is doing that in the background. It's, it's a very well crafted, extremely well put together movie. Um, that when it finished, I was just like, that that was fucking brilliant. So I took to the internet to see what the internet was saying, and that was a bad idea. Um, because turns out there's a lot of people that don't like love in the world, but <laughs> they, no. they, don't like, they don't like happy things. And um, yeah, it's either not violent enough or it's... Um, You know, it's too goofy in parts and some people don't like the humour and all the rest. I think it's a great movie. I think it's one of those ones which will stand out because it'll be unlike any other genre movie this year. I don't think you'll see another genre movie like it. That's not to say it's unique. It's certainly not unique. Um, But what it brings to the table is a certain set of skills um, that you just don't see in many movies these days. And it's really well acted. Like Mia Wasikowska and Chris Abbott turn into fucking great performances Um, and I imagine you will have a lot of fun watching Christopher Abbott try and play over how he is going to kill a prostitute when he's by himself in the hotel room he keeps playing through it Um, and it's very 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 funny Uh, and very very dark and very twisted and I kind of love it so yeah if you get a chance Pearson is available now Um it, it comes out in the UK end of this month but I got a screener I think it, it made its way to America early I think it got released late January because that's how I got my screener so yeah I would yeah. recommend it yeah, I highly it recommend
3: it available now and I am uh I am awfully excited uh to see it, it that one in a movie called Braid um are oh i
1: don't know much about that at all uh
3: kind of on my my top of the list in terms of indie horror right now braid seems Mm. really interesting i encourage you to watch the the trailer for it so um i'll probably watch that and within the next couple of days i will do
1: and uh, if you get a chance to check it pearson drop me a line and let me know
3: i will do it uh all right so enough about uh that stuff duncan (laughs) enough about duncan yeah, let's talk about American Duncan, as I have often been called. Um, <laughs> what well, you've been watching? All right, so let me let me start with the bad, which is uh, like I look. I can always go <laughs> lower than usually what my bad pick is. I can always go you know, like,
1: usually always go clearly lower than me. Like, yes, like I like I like even even when I want like, this movie is terrible. You're like that. Really? Have you heard of? Frogskin Sally. And I'm like, no, I've never heard of that movie before. You're like, yo, oh, let me tell you about it. And I'm like, oh, Frogskin it. Sally. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Was it Horse Nosed Mary or what, what was the name of that witch movie? The Horse
3: Nosed Mary. The fuck are you talking about?
1: What was the name of it? F- F- Frog Mary or pie Wacket? No, Wacket's good. Yeah. What was that movie for last year? Jugface? What are you talking no, about? No, there was that like, something. The like, Witch in the Window? no three three three-toed mary Three toed. Am i just making up shit
3: <laughs> i think you're you're just having that inevitable stroke
1: <laughs> there's a movie from last year that you mentioned on here i think you maybe even mentioned it on the podcast uh which was a witch movie that was really bad but you would oh, recommend people watched it and right it was like four toed mary or something like
3: y- that. Uh, oh geez what the fuck was the name of
1: that um See, I'm not, I'm not having a stroke, I'm having a distinct memory of me saying to you, Bo, as long as I live, I will never watch that movie, regardless how bad and how bad, but I must watch it, I must watch this movie, I will never watch it. Yeah, it, oh, jeez. The legend of something.
3: Yeah, it, that was the subtitle. Oh boy, <laughs> that was a real stinker. And, yeah, I was kind of quickly trying to flip through my list of, of stuff that I watched. And, uh, I don't, I don't see that. I might have just not even written that one down and just been like, look, let's all agree that it happened and just move it's on. It's lost to the ether of time. Yeah. Oh, I, trust it. me. I'll, before the end of this episode, I will have found it. Don't, don't kid yourself. <laughs> um, don't feel like
1: you have to put yourself out to do that,
3: Bill. I, look, it's not putting myself out that much because now that you mention, it, I'm like, I really should at least have have a record of that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but that being said, yes, I can always pull out, it like, hey, here is this shitty low-budget thing that I watch that I I went into, fingers crossed, that it would be either a, a diamond in the rough or so shitty that it becomes entertaining. And mm-hmm. uh, that's not where we're going to go this time. <laughs> oh, no. So, I finally caught up to Hellfest, uh. which is a movie... That I thought I had seen a couple of weeks before when I watched a better film called Bloodfest.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not fussy on Bloodfest either. If I'm
3: I, look, I don't think either of them are great, but at least Bloodfest <laughs> was trying to have a good time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I will say that Bloodfest is marginally better than Hellfest, but I enjoyed neither. So again, not recommending
3: either too <laughs> too strongly here. <laughs> Um, and one I'm not recommending at all. I'm just saying if somebody w- put a gun to your head and says, You gotta watch a, a horror movie, what came out in 2018, that ends in the, the word fest. <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> as I have done a couple of times myself, um then yeah, I mean Bloodfest is the way to go. It's not a great movie, like you said, but at least I, I think it's hearts in the right place. Whereas uh, when I watched Hellfest, which was the movie I thought I was watching, when I watched Bloodfest, mm-hmm. uh, and then at a certain point I was like, "This ain't a serial killer movie." And then I then like the smile came to my face, and I was like, "This isn't a serial killer movie." <laughs> it's like when Kevin realizes that his family's gone in Amalo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, I fucked up. But in fucking up, I don't have to watch uh, a slasher. Mm-hmm. So so anyway. Uh, But I I went into Hellfest uh, with as much of an open mind as, as I can have, and I think there are a couple of deaths that are okay, but other than that, I was just like, oh, this is just a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's... Look, it is perfectly acceptable as a nouveau slasher that doesn't really have anything new to bring to the genre. Mm-hmm. but that's what it is it's just like yep. hey if you like slasher movies this is one of those but yeah
1: that's kind of it it got this big cinema release in the states it didn't really get much of it, anything over here um i see big cinema release it played cinemas in the states and i remember the horror community being fairly outraged that it wasn't it didn't have many people going out to see it um and as a result i felt kind of guilty that I mean, it played for like a week in the UK, and I did not go and see it. And I kind of tried to go and see as many horror movies at the cinema last year as possible. Um, I even sat through that fucking terrible Slenderman movie. So you know, I, I made an effort and uh, I, I got it on. I got it on DVD when it came out, and I sat down and I watched it, and I like I. I will not support a movie for supporting a movie's sake. You know what I mean? Just because it, it's a horror movie, um, and I, I don't know what sort of rose-tinted glasses. I, I think it's because slashers are so infrequent now that when they land, if you are a slasher fan, you just like shoot in your pants. Um, but I like to me, it was just everything that I, everything that I'm tired of it, of a slasher movie and in this movie. I just, it was cliched to the nth degree. I knew exactly where every single thing was going. I struggled to find one likable character in it. And I had no vested interest in seeing any of them survive. And so, by the time the movie finished, I was like, yeah. And then the movie, once again, kind of has the balls to kind of wink at the camera and be like, maybe another sequel. And I'm like, maybe not. (laughs) Let's not get crazy here. Let's just leave it one and done, please. Yeah, I, I mean it's hard to fault
3: a slasher for setting itself up for a sequel. I mean that's yeah, just sort of.
1: But, but some it, of the best ones are the ones that you, like some of the ones that spawned the most franchise, like the most franchise entries are the ones that were never supposed to be. You know what I mean? It's just like in their wildest dreams, maybe they thought it would be. I think there's a presumption now um, that if you're making a slasher movie, that not only are one, you're going to create the next. Slasher horror icon, which you should never be as bold to think that, um and two that you know your your particular movie is going to be franchisable, and that's I, I think that's the the wrong approach to have, and I think Hellfest is really, really, really trying to be that movie, and yeah, I, I just I don't know, I don't know what the word I out with the cool setting, which once again would have stood out if there hadn't been a bloodfest movie. Um, I don't know what they were. It just seemed like cookie cutter. Like yeah. it seemed like a really cookie cutter movie. And I read a lot of reviews that told me I would really like it. And I, I watched it and I was like, yeah, Duncan would have liked this. Had he not already seen a hundred movies exactly the same. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is, this is like baby's first slasher. You know, yes. where, yeah. if you've never seen a slasher movie before, <laughs> you're like, holy shit, that movie was amazing. And after you've seen, I don't know, three, and then you see Hellfest, you're like, oh, yeah, that's one of them. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun, I, it, Like you said, for people who really enjoy slashers, I'm sure there's something there for for that kind of fan. But for someone like myself, that isn't predisposed to liking it like if a rubber monster had shown up halfway through that movie and started stomping on shit now there's the kind of movie that i will give a pass to but (laughs) that did not happen on sadly
1: there is there is one scene where i will acknowledge i was immensely happy and smiling from ear to ear and that is a, a head crush scene using a strongman's mallet which i thought was really well done and i liked that and that is literally the only thing i remember from that movie now and it's not that long ago that i watched it
3: (laughs) yeah that's probably the thing i remember most yeah and you know the scene with the uh where you know our heroine our final girl so to speak um first encounters the killer when he's got another victim and it's yeah. that sort of thing of like, oh, is this real or is it not real? And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, that's kind of a, a cool moment where you have somebody in in true mortal terror begging for help. And it's like, oh, well, this is just part of the show. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is cool um, up until it's not. You know, <laughs> like then, then it doesn't really ever do anything with that. Substantially, yeah. you know, it, it's a real disappointing movie. Um, but enough about Hellfest. Um, mm-hmm. remember, if you're only gonna see one horror movie that ends in Fest, make it Bloodfest, everyone. <laughs> um, but let me tell you about the thing that I, I've actually been real excited about watching lately, uh, sort of surprising myself, uh, oh. in, in how much I enjoy it. And it's the Amazon series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
1: I know nothing about this.
3: Okay, let me sell this. I, I can. I know I can sell you on this show, uh, because okay. I've done it to other people. Like I've turned a couple of, of friends onto this show now, and they've both thanked me for it.
1: Yeah, I will give you. I'll give you a little inside track here. All you have to do is say the word jello, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's there's no jello. Sad. Right. I instantly called on it, boy. <laughs> I,
3: I understand. Um, I'm a bit predisposed because I'm. I really enjoy stories about comedy and and like right. the 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 creation of comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is uh, the story of a woman named Midge Maisel who lives in like the late '50s New York City. She comes from a, a very Jewish background, uh, married a good, you know, upstanding Jew boy. Mm-hmm. and um they have this perfect life that they've built together and he wants to be a stand-up comic, but she's kind of the funny one in the relationship. I'm telling you the first 15 minutes of the show um mm-hmm. so they end up going to uh a a club where he gets on and performs and there's a night when um she discovers that he is basically copying the act of I think it's like Bob Newhart or somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh and when she confronts him about it, and she's like, hey, you're telling other people's jokes. And he's like, oh, everybody does that. That's how you get started, sort of thing. And then he has a really terrible night performing bombs and then in a in a fit of sort of emotional peak, decides that he's going to leave his wife and two kids. Oh, right. And take up with his secretary, who he has been having an affair with. And as a result of this turn, Midge Maisel, who has always been kind of the brains of the outfit, first takes to the stage and gives this impromptu performance where she is ultimately arrested for flashing her, her exceptional tits on stage.
1: Nice sold.
3: Duncan's in. All right. That's step one. <laughs> uh, of my here's how I get Duncan to watch this show <laughs> step two Lenny Bruce is a major character on the show Um, he's not in every episode but in terms of just you know sort of stand up comedy and the history of comedy he represents that turn from um, sort of the the cat skills uh, kind of humor um to a more like George Carlin we wouldn't have a George Carlin and a Bill Hicks without Lenny Bruce Mm-hmm. and Lenny Bruce is a really fun character on the show. Um, it, it, the way that it kind of details the that era of the 50s in like Greenwich Village and all these little clubs that are doing like folk music and all all this kind of stuff. The stand-up comedy on the, on the show is legitimately pretty funny or at the very least authentic, which is I'll take in a pinch because most of the time in a movie or TV show, when you see a stand-up comic performing... You're like, oh, this is terrible. Like if you if you saw this stand up, you would fucking walk out. Um and, and in this this show, it does a great job of making the stand up comedy feel um appropriate to the character in a way that when she is kind of making this journey through the ins and outs of working clubs in New York as a female stand up comic in the fifties, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's a great show. Tony Shaloub is really funny on it. Um uh what's her name? Alex Borstein from like Family Guy and Mad TV and that kind of thing plays her manager and she's very funny on the show. Um it's just really good. Like it's one of those shows that I I <laughs> I liked the stand-up comedy element of it, but I wasn't crazy about the family drama side of things as I was watching the show like all the stories about uh, you know, her relationship with her husband and with her parents and her parents with her parents-in-law and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then as the show's gone on, that's really captivated me. So now the thing that I didn't like about the show, I actually really like. And the thing that I liked about the show to begin with, I like even more now. So I'm almost done. There, there are two seasons of it on Amazon. I'm about halfway through the second season and it's just become the show that like, Hey, when I'm not watching, you know some movie where somebody's getting beheaded and whatnot <laughs> then i'm like hey i'm gonna throw on an episode of mrs maisel because it, it's it's very funny it's very sharply written It it's almost at times like watching a comedy movie from the 40s or something the way that the dialogue is so snappy mm-hmm. um but it's really well written and it's really smart and you know Um, like I said, I'm kind of predisposed to liking stories about comedy and for a character where one of the main characters is sort of discovering like party records, like, oh, here's a red Fox album and what that means to the culture at the time, you know, that like you get to see those parties where people would just get together and drink martinis and gin and tonics and smoke cigarettes and listen to Bill Cosby records and stuff like that yeah um, it, it's cool I, I really like being in that world and it's and you just can't say enough about uh the the main character uh it's played by rachel brosnahan i think is her name um mm-hmm. and she's won like every award in the world for this role <laughs> and and i but i never watched it and now that i'm watching it, i'm like oh she totally deserves every award in the world um she's incredible on the show like it wouldn't work even a little bit if she weren't amazing On it's sort of like uh what's her name the uh Uh, The girl from Orphan Black, Tatiana Maslany, something like that,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: where you see, like, two episodes of Orphan Black, and you're like, oh, fuck, she's incredible. You know, (laughs) like, she is an impressive actress, and that's kind of how Rachel Brosnahan is. After you see a couple of episodes of uh, Mrs. Maisel, um, you, you start to really get an appreciation for, like, how good she is on that show and how... Um, she, she can deliver these supposedly impromptu, uh, comedy moments, these beats where she just in a fury takes to the stage and just lays down some comedy. Uh, and it feels great. Like when you're watching that, cause she, she brings such an energy to that role. Um, and it's kind of fascinating because, you know, I'm not Jewish. I never yeah. have been. <laughs> And it's kind of interesting to see sort of that, the community at that time. And there's like a running gag where there's one guy, Kevin Pollack plays the father-in-law on the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a running gag where he keeps talking about the 13 Jews he saved, getting them out of Germany in world war two. And everybody's kind of tired of the story, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, where they're like, you know, at one point he even, he's even talking to, uh, midge midge's uh father played by tony shalhoub and he's like you know sometimes i get the impression you don't like the 13 Jews story and he's like I, what are you talking about i love that story and you know you save <laughs> it's so remarkable you save 13 people he's like eh, just sometimes you look like you don't care <laughs> and it, anyway it's it's a great show and one of those that i recommend if you want like that uh that amuse bouche of a show Ooh. Ooh. that that sort of palate cleanser from all the stuff that we watch sometimes that's like grim and terrible um it's a very upbeat pleasant fun show uh that's also very smartly written and you know certainly has something to say about the politics of the time and that kind of thing but it never it's not preachy which is weird because it's a show about an art form that is by nature kind of preachy um anyway uh, nothing but good things to say about it i've been so pleasantly surprised in my uh my viewing of that show that I was as uh, taken with it as I was. And Very nice. Um, like I said, everyone that uh, I've recommended it to that has not seen, I'll tell you, here's another thing <laughs> about watching this. You want to have a conversation with a strange woman, just let it drop that you have seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And it's like every woman that I've run into where this topic has come up, immediately it's just like, let's talk about this for 45 minutes. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about this show. And I'm like, great. It's the the best dating app ever. <laughs> it's just standing in a public place and saying, boy, how about that marvelous Mrs. Mazel, huh? <laughs> and you were going to get delayed that night. That's just how it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> enough about that. Dublin. I feel like it is time now. To turn our attention to the business at hand, which is, of course, being detectives.
1: Yes, that is what we are. And so, <laughs> so like before we get into this, I have some uh, some things that I just want to see. Um, some corrections for for the show, which is yeah.
3: rare because we are rarely wrong about anything.
1: Yeah, I've, I want to see. I want to see that we both kind of had it in our head. That what I said at the end of the previous episode was wrong, but neither one of us just could be bothered correcting it. That's that's how I feel. Um, so I very very quickly, very very quickly after recording um a review of episode number two, so once again to kind of link this all back in, we recorded our a review for episodes one and two as one recording, but split them up. Yes. Um, so they were recorded at the same time, but episodes one and two came out as a elongated first episode, essentially. Um, so they were back to back, so we recorded them as such. I said at the end that um, what we had was Detective Hayes as an old man standing outside what I thought was a community center, which had burned down. Um, but it wasn't a community center, actually it was the parents' house. So the parents are the missing kids. Um, it was their house that had burned to the ground. Now, had we connected that at the point, I think it would have raised more discussions as to, well, what does that mean, um, that this house is burned down? Generally, when houses are torn down or burned, um, the implication is that a murder has happened there or something really bad's happened there. So it would have maybe spurred on some sort of conversation. So house house demolished, That's that was the thing that kind of swung it away from me. Also, um, I decided I was going to deep dive on this, like take it right to the the the, the conspiracy part, the Alex Jones wing of the web, um, to see if I could find some interesting information about this one. And it was something that you specifically said about um, the the fact that he's is depending on where we are viewing his memory of events. From which time frame, obviously knowing that modern day Hayes has, um, it's it's not Alzheimer's, but I don't think it's far from
3: it. Right. Uh, And Very cagey about it, even on the show. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there was one specific scene that we mentioned, which you were like that. Well, this kind of, at this stage, I'm now thinking, right, we're all getting it from modern day Hayes here. And it was the bit where he's looking at the puddle with the moon in the background and then it switches over and it's actually the light from um the recording he's doing with a woman so it's basically like a studio light in his face mm-hmm. right yes this this turns out has sparked a fucking whirlwind like a like a proper rabbit's hole of a vortex of conspiracy about the show <clears throat> namely namely the The fact that there is a detail that is mentioned quite a bit um in that first episode, which is factually inaccurate, and people are now saying, "Well, it's mentioned so much that it's in- inaccurate for a reason," and it's specifically about the moon, right? Okay. Are you ready for? I, I can tell that you've not heard this. I so haven't, this but afraid. yeah. Go on. So here we go. Right. So the murder happened on what day? uh steve mcqueen died right 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 yeah well it turns out like if you're a sleuth a super sleuth like we are yes yeah like we are you can go on the internet and actually track back the lunar alignment Mm -hmm. like going back years and years and years um and actually it wasn't a full moon in fact the moon on that day was the lowest possible moon so basically that kind of very thin slither of a moon in the sky. Now, the the show specifically mentions Steve McQueen, right? Yes. And his death as a date. Now, you only do that if you want it to be a memorable date to the audience, right? Mm -hmm. And it specifically says in that first episode. but I went back and checked it. The story starts off with he's basically saying, yes, I remember that night. It was a full moon. And then it's mentioned later on. In fact, the investigation they do in the kind of wooded area is done against moonlight but it's not actually in certain scenes In certain scenes it's done with no lighting at all so if the full moon was out you would see more so i don't think the story we're getting is completely being told by modern day haze i think is actually a combination of the two so i think if you take that into assumption um the fact that it makes this bold statement about the moon uh, I think if you take that assumption, I think what we have to assume is some of what we're seeing is 100% accurate as to what happened there. But some of what we see is deliberately misleading because the character that is mem- uh, remembering it doesn't remember. Eh, that's a little heaven archaic in eating it too well this is what i wanted to say is i once again like people started linking articles nick pisolato has basically said yes our character has memory problems but i am not using that as a technique in here to pull a fast one okay all right but at the same time i want that but if you were you wouldn't say you were (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean right you that's st- just what someone who was using that as a technique would say yeah uh, if you've been a in- if you've been interviewed at the start of the season and you're like saying i'm not doing like, that to me throws up a bit of a kind uh, of uh, you know uh, right um, it- it's like when
3: trump said you can invest every everything except my family and finances yes and you're like well i kind of want to investigate all your finances now
1: It seems Um, suspicious. The the, the other thing I was going to say is that um, he said that he he had not read his wife's book on the case, but he had started reading it at this, like in modern days, Hayes had started reading it before he was getting his interview, or he was picking it up, or he'd been flipping through it, right, right? At that point. So, once again, working on his recollection modern day he's maybe misremembering facts based on what was written in his wife's book well, well
3: yeah and also like we know from these episodes that was not the first time he read the book i mean he in in these episodes in
1: 1990 he says he yeah. read it so. he said he said he said he tried to read it he gets so far into each time and he has to put it down because he doesn't like the repetitive use of his name in it yeah
3: yeah, but he's like he's not unfamiliar with the book or anything.
1: Yeah, so there's there's that to take into account as well. Um, so yeah, so I did a bit of a, a deep dive uh, a deep dive on that, and I was like, oh, I don't know this, uh, and then it kind of sprung out. So like I say, at the end of that last episode, it sprung out a couple of theories, which I mean, we will find if they take shape because it's safe to say. Um, it's safe to say at this stage we don't know who the killer is, um, but, or who who's wrongly convicted or who gets convicted. If anyone gets convicted, we still don't know, and that's I think that's where the power of the show lies in. But the fact that that house was burned down usually is a safe, it's usually a safe indication that something maybe with the family. I, I don't know um yeah see um so yeah I, i i don't know that seemed like a deliberate thing to show us like why would he go back to there like people tend to remember people tend to like when they lose their memory when they become old and senile and stuff like that tend to remember moments of joy or moments of sorrow well, those are the things that they try and get back to for whatever reason whether it's unfinished business or it's to recapture a, a, a joyous memory that's just how your brain works. Um, so why would he go back to it could be the weight of the case, a case that was you know that he never felt was fully satisfied um, in his his mind or it could be that they make a mistake and that is what causes the house to be burned. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. so that's me just literally eating some stuff out there. I think the moon thing is really quite interesting because we get that clip of him seeing... The, we see the, the moon about two or three times there. And I don't think Nick Pissolato, a man who spends so much time talking about time, uh, would would make that mistake, would would make a claim that there's a full moon out there and mention dates and times and all that and not do the 5 minutes research that I did on the internet to disprove that, so...
3: Yeah, I, I mean... I, I hope you're right I, I hope that all of this you know pays off in in some interesting ways uh, mm-hmm. but let duncan enough speculation let's get to the cold hard facts the facts boy. uh <laughs> with uh episode three of true detective uh season three it is entitled the big never mm-hmm. uh it is directed by daniel sackheim
1: Oh, he is not the man that we
3: love. No, he's not Jeremy Saulnier, but
1: he's done a a lot of television. As HBO, like every director in this one will have done something big because it's HBO. Yeah, <laughs> really? like
3: he he's done like high profile television where it's like speaking of HBO, he did some work on uh, the Leftovers and Ozark and oh, called nice. Saul and that Jack Ryan uh, show on Amazon, and The Americans, and Game of Thrones, Duncan. I Mm -hmm. mean, like, this guy's... Like, when it comes to doing television, like, this guy is legit. Yeah. Uh, So, it's cool. And he does uh, four episodes this season. So, you know, it it is... Daniel, Daniel Sackheim is one of our uh main visionaries actually of this season and and uh, frankly i thought um you know there are a handful of things that are like uh you know i'm missing the the Solnier touch in in some of this like the, the you know Solnier shot of uh uh the tower in the devil's den and stuff like yeah. that is just like well this is jeremy Solnier just showing off a what a... <laughs> this is what I can do, but I'm doing it on TV. Right, Of uh, just what a big
1: and dick director he is. <laughs> Which he is. Don't kid yourself. He's... So, if this dude's done four episodes, and we know that Pizzolatto has done one episode as well, he makes his directorial debut on season three, that means that there's only three Sonya episodes in. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if that last episode is a sonya episode which would
3: make sense yeah you would think so right um Mm -hmm.
1: but a lunch thing start off and start your season close your season
3: sure and it's gonna end with mahershal ali (laughs) staring at a
1: mirror (laughs) see if he wakes up in the the fucking the black lodge all all games are off here all bets are that would be the greatest
3: oh, crossover if you oh. saw Mahershala Ali sitting in a chair, and across from him is you know Doppel Cooper.
1: Um, oh my! Or 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 like Cooper's lost in that dimension at the end of season three, you know, that out of time thing. And then right, he's yelling, season. "What year is it?" Yeah.
3: And then you have Mahershala Ali say, "What do you mean? What year is it?" It's oh. 2015. My memory yep. ain't so good, but. <laughs> What are you doing here, Agent Cooper? I haven't seen you since a Purcell case.
1: Oh, oh let's, yeah. Let's, we can we can live, but dream. All uh, right, uh, fan fiction. <laughs> lots and lots of fan yeah. fiction. Oh, it'd be so good. Um... <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, All the, right. the, the previous ep- the previous episode finished with not only uh, Detective Hames being a bit. Confused outside of a burned down building, but um, and that so that's in modern time frame in the 90s. He is, uh, you know, kind of despondent that he's trying to get to the bottom of what he may have missed. That you know has, has brought this case back to the attention of, of people now investigating maybe a wrongful conviction, but. Back in them 80s, Bo, um, the parents had received a letter. The The son is dead, but they received a letter, a ransom letter, that basically said, don't look for the girl, she's alive. So that's kind of where we left off episode two. So, like I say, we have a murder in the 80s, of a, a boy, a girl who is missing uh, with a ransom note. Um, in the 90s, we have someone or someones have been arrested in that time period, in that decade, and now there's evidence I think, that maybe there's a wrongful conviction. And in the 2015s, um, he has distinct memory problems. He's been interviewed by some documentary crew. Um, he's incredibly paranoid. He has a gun. He's got a gun. Um, so he's got, he's got a gun. He's got and a he, gun! Uh, <laughs> and he... Um, and he's doing memento-style recordings, telling them not to trust anything and stick to these things. His son, um, apparently, is okay with him, but his daughter is completely estranged, and his wife's dead as well. So, and his wife's wrote a book about the murders. All in, I think I've recapped everything. Bo, kick us off with episode three.
3: All right, uh, of course, written by Nick Pistolo. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> when time and death, yeah. Hey, look! It ain't gonna get any happier on these <laughs> no. two episodes. All right, the, things are gonna get real fucking true, detective. Um, yep. which means d- dour. Yeah, so, men are
1: shitty. That's all you need to remember is men are shitty.
3: Yeah, and women ain't much better. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, so we get um a, an older dwarf, a 1990s dwarf. Yep. Uh, being questioned about the case.
1: Dwarf on aging. That's dwarf right. on aging,
3: and uh, th- so we're we're kind of getting his point of view of in this episode, and so we we flash back to 1980 where they're examining the note that you mentioned, and Hayes is like, "I think she's alive," mm-hmm. and uh, then we jump back forward to 1990 again, where uh, Dwarf on stakeouts is saying. <laughs> We were doing neighborhood surveillance, and they're like, "You got there kind of late, you know when uh, when the the call about the note came in. Why was that?" And he's like, "I don't know. My memory's kind of fuzzy. How about you uh, talk to Hayes about that? His memory's probably better than mine, which mm-hmm. is ironic, Duncan, because we know that Hayes's memory is shit. One um, could one could describe it as hazy. Oh, purple hazy indeed. And <laughs> but it's um. Like in 1990, obviously this, you know, there was no indication that he was going to have these problems. But then we cut forward to 2015 where Hayes is talking to a doctor and um, he's there with his son. And he's like, you know, hey, I went to that house uh, on purpose, but I don't remember why. Yeah. And his kid uh, is like, yeah, well. Um, you know, maybe you, it was just an episode. He was like, No, no, no. I just I need to remember is all. And he's yeah. like, Well, you remember when I took you home yesterday? And he's like, Yeah, asshole. <laughs> and and his kid is like, You know what? I didn't take you home yesterday. Charlotte took you home. And my Ali has one of those moments where he looks <laughs> at his kid and he goes, So we playing gotcha now? Yeah, that's your- <laughs> I fucking <love> that. laughs. And then <laughs> But the doctor uh he gives him a little business and he and the doctor is like, Look, you know, Detective Hayes, your son just loves you. He goes, Yeah, thanks for walking me through that, doctor. Yeah, that's- <laughs> And you're just like, Man, like bad memory or no, but Ali is just a badass no matter what time He's period fucking we're as
1: sharp as attack, that what that wet a razor wire. As what as we're it, it's, it's saying, we we kinda we we flew through the Stephen Dorff thing, but um Kind of looks like in the nineties uh he's doing quite well for himself. He's I mean, a lieutenant, yeah. He's we'd heard that they'd said that in episode two, that you know, uh Dorford went off and you know, uh, Roland Wester went off and you know he was doing well for himself. But now we see what that actually equates to. He's he's the he's the big swinging dick, which we'll come back up in this episode later on. Uh the big swing dick of where he is just now. He's a lieutenant. Um Lieutenant Dorf. Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Dorf. <laughs>
3: Lieutenant <laughs> Dorf, you got a magic hair. Uh, <laughs> I I will say I with every passing episode, I like his character more.
1: Oh, he's bro. He's like he's having the time of his life. He is once again, I, I, this is why I love True Detective. Like True Detective, I think gives every season gives at least one actor a chance to do something that we haven't really seen in their repertoire to the extent that they're doing. And he's brilliant. And and the time frames we see him in, in this one, he's great. he's, yeah. he's, he's really really good. He's he, like he's a character that is constantly
3: doing the right thing or trying yes. to. And that's what I like, because he seems, when you first look at him, you're like, he looks like kind of a shitbag. (laughs) (laughs) But because he's, you know, he's just the dude with the muscle car and the comb over in the 80s and all that. And but as time goes on and, and, and the more we see of him in these episodes, I'm like, you know what? Roland is all right. Like that dude is is pretty centered. Uh, yeah, as, as he a has whole. a
1: specific thing that he, he mentions coming up very soon about kind of filling in some of the blanks. We know we're going to inevitably end up seeing why it is that he's ends up where he is in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's inevitable. But from what uh, West's recollection of that is, is... You know, it wasn't necessarily all his fault, and basically everyone in the higher establishment has done pretty much everything they can to fuck this guy over. Right, right. And
3: even his, like... The, uh, we'll get into it. We're, we're just going to yeah. save all this talk about how much we want to Uh, Dorf yeah. <laughs> on this episode. But anyway... Dorf on Felicio. That's right. I've been thinking about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so... And what back in the doctor's office though, um the doctor uh, is asking him like, "Well, did this place have any significance to you?" And Hayes's kid, uh, w- what's his son's name? I can never remember what his stupid son's name is.
1: Um, I, we'll, we'll just call him Hayes Junior. How about Jerkface Hayes? So Jerkface <laughs> Hayes, that's not a nice thing to say. <laughs> uh,
3: Is like, yeah, he's been working on this old case. And then Hayes says, well, look, look, you guys don't even know what this disease is. And the doctor's like, well, I mean, we (laughs) know not 100%, but we got a pretty good idea. And he doesn't reveal what it is, but but it it doesn't matter because before they go too far down that that road, uh, Hayes just goes, I'll tell you what, you try to put me in one of them homes, I won't shoot myself right in the face. (laughs) And everybody's like, whoa, 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 man. (laughs) Let's just like break it
1: down a couple of degrees here. It's it's been it's been five minutes and Pizzolatto hasn't diced with death yet in the script, right? Somebody
3: hasn't threatened to kill someone or themselves. So, like, as as per the the union rules, Mahershala Ali was like, "What time is it in the script?" I'm gonna kill myself <laughs> to death and uh, everybody's like hey, what, what chill out man
1: what happens if his memory problems are related to he attempted suicide
3: oh that's interesting uh-huh. but he calls it a disease
1: yeah so uh, <laughs> but i to mean me it's like to me if it's alzheimer's you say it's alzheimer's you know what i mean right it's not a, well we kind of think we know what it is it's kind of like they're they're yeah but why would they still le-
3: but why would they let him have the gun then t- <laughs> but you argue with him eh, fair enough if, if he's like hey you, the reason you got such a bad memory is because you got a bullet between your ears dummy <laughs>
1: Plus plus he's not shown the gun to anyone else yet. He just says he's gonna shoot himself. Um Right his yeah. recordings so that he's like that, you know, remember the gun in the top well, he says, Remember there's something in the top drawer. Doesn't even tell him it's a gun. Well Doesn't but he's tell even, himself as a gun.
3: He's even looking at it in the dumbest scene of yep. this anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, anyway <laughs> so so after he he threatens to kill himself, we jump back to nineteen ninety where we have kind of a nice scene between uh Hayes and Amelia um, and this is after um, they've learned that uh, the Purcell girl was was seen, or that the, her yeah. fingerprints had, had popped up, and so they're on a stakeout at this drugstore. And
1: isn't that a weird thing? We never covered this at all. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean, it's fingerprints. It, just to me, seems like a weird thing for them to. How would they have that? Well, because it was a robbery. And so, yeah, but how would they have her fingerprints on record if she was missing when she was like six?
3: Oh, I mean, it could have been a, even in her album or something. Like, there's all all kinds of stuff like that. Like, where you take the the finger and toe prints when you're a baby. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And put them in a family <laughs> I, album and, and stuff. Yeah, you can extrapolate what
1: that looks like as an adult.
3: I, I mean, your fingerprints are your fingerprints, right? I don't know when they solidify, but you know, it just seems strange that they would just. Have that on record? Maybe she like, had a that. had a record. Maybe in the 90s. Yeah, maybe maybe she had been booked before Duncan for solicitation. It is As, true, detective.
1: <laughs> As Nick Pizzolatto's worldview, right? Hooking it from the age of five. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it just seemed like to me it seemed weird because. All this fingerprint stuff, like it's when I thought I'd, i was, I was like, oh, this cool stuff. And then I thought about it after the fact. And obviously, I'd have a couple of weeks to think about it. But it's in 1990 right? So we're still we're still kinda of on the cusp of DNA technology. And they happen to have the missing girl's fingerprints on record from when she was a girl that they just happened to match. It seems weird that, that to me is a detail feels a bit a little thin for you yeah yeah like doesn't feel like the rest of the show uh,
3: uh, i i was distracted by the fact that amelia as played by uh carmen yogo right
1: she's I think. killing it in this show
3: somewhere. um because she's like hey you want to get a hotel and get drunk and fuck <laughs> and i was like yes <laughs> i yeah, want that's... to see that happen for both of us yeah that's on this show
1: that's that's what they call the ransdale thursday night uh-huh So ransdale thursday
3: Yep, just me and Carmen Yogo.
1: I was going to say, sometimes it's just bored a bottle of Jack.
3: Uh, You know, any port in a storm. Yep. Um, someone's getting lucky. But oh, the, someone's
1: the, getting lucky. Yeah.
3: There's a really nice callback to the first episode, <laughs> like when Dorf is like, hey, you want to go kick the shit out of somebody? He goes, mm-hmm. Lord, that'd be nice. Um, yeah. There's another, there's a callback to that when, after Amelia is like, you want to go fucking get drunk and, and screw? And he, he goes, Lord, that'd be nice. Yeah, and but he's kind of complaining like this is just this case is this thing between us like yeah. we're both obsessed with it, and um they they talk about the fact that the fingerprints found in, uh, inside the the drugstore were confirmed to be the the little girls uh, or you know grown up now uh, ten years on, and he's asking like well we need to know if there's uh, other information, but the uh, police department here is kind of stonewalling and we really want to know if, Hey, are there more prints out back maybe? Mm-hmm. And, uh, Amelia is, uh, she's like, Hey, I've been working on this book. So I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go to this police department and tell them I'm, I'm, working on the case. And maybe they'll tell me instead of you because they're stonewalling the police department, but maybe they'll tell a writer if I get all, you know, bookish and sexy uh, as she, she she calls it yeah and she does right and he's like all right that sounds pretty good and she's like well you want to hit that motel room now that we have a plan <laughs> and he's like all right let's just go screw then and sure enough like he, she's like well start the car and they take off for the motel which is great like it's yep. it's a nice moment between where it's like yes there is this case that is it, that they're both obsessed with to an unhealthy degree, but also they do love each other.
1: Yeah. And uh, we, we find out that there is like, we we're going to find out very, very quickly that there is, there is a price that you pay for both having the same obsession.
3: Yes. Yes. And, and for both being those kinds of people, like, uh, you know, you can see where their love is very passionate, but also very, uh, uh confrontational at times and well yeah
1: they're approaching it for like i mean i think the the end result is they both want the answer but one is approaching it purely from an obsessive you know an obsessive kind of detective point of view you know investigative point of view and the other one is from uh you know a, a distinct curiosity but with this bent of this literary pursuit of you know capturing the story, documenting the story. And those two never really meet all yeah. that well, if you know what I mean. Especially when you can be garnered success from one you could be garnered successful in writing about true crime without never actually solving a case. If you know what I mean. If the if the if the the murder Is entertaining enough people will buy the book and you will become successful over it if you're the detective investigating it though the only success you ever get is if you solve it which i really like that idea because nick pisolato what does he do for a living he writes crime novels so and i imagine he probably has taken quite a bit of shit online from real, that's not how detectives act, that's not how detectives talk so I don't know if he is putting a little wink and nudge in here but I kind of like that concept in here, kind of like those ideas it's the same as he's kind of wink and nudge to the kind of the modern day documentarians, it's like well yeah anyone can go back and poke holes in any case, like watch Making the murder and all the rest, anyone can do that does that mean that the people that were involved in the case at the time were deliberately shit at their job or did they just do the best that they had with the information at hand um so yeah i, I love all these i think what this is what i love about this season and uh, what i don't understand why people are saying it's you know it, it's it's deliberately long and it's not really going anywhere and all the rest and i'm like no 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 it's handling some really cool stuff um it's just taking its time doing it Ain't yeah nothing wrong with that Bo. and it's kind of
3: been an honest to goodness procedural
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Very which, much which, so.
3: which I really like. Whereas, I mean, they, they all have been to some degree. less so season two, but this reminds me much more of season one. Of just like we are just digging everywhere we can for any kind of lead that's going to get us somewhere. Yeah. And and that's what I I kind of dig about it. And speaking of, um, our next scene is ten years prior in 1980 when um, Dwarf on driving and Hayes <laughs> are in his car um, and they're talking about like you know we just need to start over from the beginning like we we don't have any good leads so let's start from square one and hayes then poses the question why did the kids lie to their father about where they were going
1: yeah because he said they were going to see a friend's new dog
3: right and and when they questioned the kid in, you know, the that they were going to go see, he was like, Well, they hadn't made plans. He just kind of gave them a vague, Hey, you can come over and see the puppy sometime if you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dwarf on Compliments is like, Hey, that's a good lead. <laughs> and it's like, We ought to use that teacher friend of yours to talk to them kids. Mm. And um, Hayes gives them that look like, I know what you're doing here. Don't worry. I got this on lockdown. <laughs> and then we cut to 1990 where Dorf on interviews is saying <laughs> that Hayes thought the kids were lying and he's like, and they were. Yeah. And this is the scene where he's like, you know, everything they did fucked a good detective on this. Yeah. you say
1: you really fucked that good detective. And they're like, yeah, well, we, we, know it wasn't me though. And he's like, I, I tried to get him transferred. I think he says twice. Yeah.
3: And, and the, and the second time, the, both times the tran like, uh, Dorf is trying to get Hayes transferred to his unit. Yeah. So he would be Hayes's boss essentially, but it gets blocked twice. And the second time he, he's essentially told quit asking. Yeah. And so whatever it is that Hayes has done here, like he is persona non grata, in in the police department and has this shitty desk job now yeah um and so one of the offer officers uh when dorf is kind of laying it down of just like how how fucked hayes was in this scenario and w- the one of the dudes that ha- has come in to talk to him is like hey we need to get back to the point and dorf says i'm making a point son yeah oh and it's a real like <laughs> dwarf on balls moment <laughs> Where th- That was one of the points in this episode where I was just like, man, I really like this character of just like, hey, I'm a lieutenant, and, and I'm about to give you a peace of mind about what happened to my friend, and you're going to sit here and listen. Yeah. And, oh, it's pretty good.
1: Great character. Great character. It,
3: it is. And, like, I, let me just say, I have never thought to myself, Stephen Dorff is a really good actor. And uh, maybe it's because most of my experience with Stephen Dorff is in the movie Blade. (laughs) In fairness. most
1: of everyone's experience with Stephen Dorff. I keep telling you, SFW, from a couple of years before, fucking great indie movie. Like, really, really, really good movie from the 90s. That is criminally underseen. And yeah, he's the lead performance in it, and he's fucking awesome in it. So
3: yeah, I and I think he's really good. And like you were saying earlier, like that you know this is a show that has given a showcase to certain actors, and I really think this is this performance is going to mean you are going to see Stephen Dorff in more stuff.
1: Yeah, it's no surprise to me. He plays this kind of lieutenant character here, and then in the same year he was filming this, I think he did the Leatherface movie. It was a year before the Leather Leather. F- uh, before he did the Leatherface movie, where he's basically playing a grizzled sort of Texas-based detective uh, or sheriff. So I mean, he's all of that age now that he can be cast in those roles. There's no competition here. He's better in this, but you know, he's 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 reached a certain level of maturity um, in the way he looks and his, his performance that he can pull off these roles really, really, really well. Everything he says here is, in my opinion, 100% convincing.
3: Yeah, yeah, I I I love him in the in this role. Anyway, there's a lot of fun, uh, shit with Roland uh, that we will get to over the course of these episodes. So, um, so then we cut back to 1980, and it's Hayes talking to this neighbor kid again,
1: mm-hmm. and we
3: get a clearer picture that like they weren't really that good of friends. No, and he was like, yeah, I you know reiterates like I told them they could come see this fucking puppy. The kid says.
1: <laughs> Hey, hey! I told them they could come see the fucking puppy, you know? You you come here and see this fucking dog. And, <laughs> yeah.
3: And, it, like, Hayes is like, hey, you, uh, were you guys really best friends? He's like, oh, best friends. I don't know if i go that far, Detective Hayes. <laughs> best friends with this
1: cocksucker. <laughs> and,
3: God, Cuck. I was, was going to say something <laughs> terrible about the girl. So let's oh. just
1: assume...
3: I said something terrible about the girl and move on.
1: Well, let's just assume that Nick Pissola wrote something terrible about the
3: girl. Yes.
1: And so then uh,
3: (laughs) Hayes and and Dorf go to uh, the kids' house, the Purcell house. And they're asking, like, hey, uh, if the Boyle kid was really best friends with your kids, did he ever come to the house? And Scooter McDrinky is there. (laughs) And he's like, no, I guess not. And Dorf then is like, hey, we want to go back through the kid's stuff because we might have missed something in light of this information. And Hayes is uh, starts investigating, and the sad mom in this yes. scenario is giving him a real hard look. And then Dorf on co- cartography finds <laughs> a map. <It's>, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, kind of
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Poor folk> cartography, <laughs> um, so complicated as well uh-huh. I love it uh, yeah so it's a kind of hand drawn kids map um, which will link into a couple of things that we have to make comment on in the next well this episode and the next episode specifically about a kind of throwaway thing from episode one that you raised on this book mm-hmm. that we saw in a passing, which I think you said wasn't a real book.
3: Right. It's uh, It was a, a fake Dungeons and Dragons kind of module that was invented for this show, but refers to a land of dreams.
1: Yeah, L- Lovecraftian land mm-hmm. of dreams. And this uh, particular hand drawing, could one could say looks like an adventure map. Uh, maybe the sort of thing that would be used in a game like Dungeons and & Dragons. And that, we're going to get a lot more of this kind of role-playing shenanigans um, like very, very, very soon. But yeah, so like, uh, he finds that, however, Hayes is doing the, the deep dive, Bo, and he starts coming across all manner of weird, different little things, uh, including a, a plethora of handwritten pieces of bit- paper. Yeah, it's a
3: creepy bag of Barbie dolls (laughs) and a notebook that has little slips of, like, fortune cookie messages inside it. That's just like, you know, I'll always be your friend. Yeah. Keep it up. You know, it it seems kind of positive, but anytime you see a bunch of little notes hidden away like that, that just have, like, three words written on it, like, I'm your best friend. Yeah. You're like, ugh. No. Yeah, a cold,
1: a cold, chill goes down your back.
3: <laughs> yeah, and Hayes like pockets these,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: then he makes a note of the fact that the bag, uh, says Hoyt Foods, mm-hmm. and that's Hoyt, not hot, not hot Hoyt. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. So, Sad Mom <laughs> says that she worked at Hoyt Foods before she started working at the Sawhorse because she made better tips, uh, there. Or made tips at all, made more money at the sawhorse than working at the Hoyt Foods plant. And then we cut back to 1990, where Dorf on Rewards is like, it was breaking everybody out of the woodwork. And um, then they're like, well, have you talked to Hayes much? And he's like, we don't really talk much, but, you know, we're friends. Hmm. After we stopped working together, we just stopped. And then he says, you know, sometimes it's like that with people. And I'm like, you know what? Never happened to me, but sometimes it does. Like, apparently, Dorf, I'm on your side. <laughs> you I probably... like everything that's happening here.
1: But did we skip over the the picture?
3: Which picture?
1: Right, so when he's questioner, the mum about, I'm sure it's this scene, where he questions the mum about uh, where she worked and all the rest or having the conversation with the parents, um and uh, he's picks up a photo album and opens a photo album and
3: oh no this it, is later the the picture like right of the kid shut the fuck up okay oh, yeah, fuck yeah yeah well, shut yeah. the fuck up boy well but I was right Duncan no so um after he says sometimes it's like that with people then we uh cut to Hayes in 1990 and he's grocery shopping. At a Walmart, and Um, the the kids are trailing him, like his his kids with Amelia, and they're giving him some shit about like wanting some toys as he's shopping.
1: Transformer little bastard! How dare he? Uh, You know, it's nineteen ninety, tis the season. You will get a fucking bunch of fives across your jaw. Wow, we it turned turn into (laughs) brawling
3: cell block ninety nine on this show. Um, A little Joe Johnson, anyway, so while <laughs> while uh Hayes is leading the kids on this shopping trip, Amelia is doing her thing with this other police department yep. and is giving them the sexy looks uh and getting some information about the drugstore prints, which you know are confirmed to have belonged to the Purcell girl. But they were like, no, nah, there wasn't anything anywhere else just on the shelves, uh, you know. Following the the robbery, then we go back to the Walmart, and all of a sudden, Hayes's daughter is missing.
1: Yeah, which I mean, could not have been timed any worse.
3: Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because he's <laughs> there. There's a great bit, like right before he realizes that his daughter isn't there. There's uh, a scene where he's like looking at two different toilet paper packages. Mm-hmm. Richard's like, hmm.
1: This one's more absorbent. (laughs) And this one's softer. And to finish off his shopping, he buys two of each. Just just in case. It's like, fuck it. I can't remember which one. Can't remember if she said pink or yellow. We'll just get to each.
3: I know we're gonna keep shitting.
1: We'll use it. And of course he turns around and she's not there.
3: Yeah. And so he immediately like goes to the security. Is like, we gotta lock this place down. We're gonna do a <laughs> like, five by five, it's five it's search. <laughs>
1: he says, "It's been ten minutes. We've locked this place down." And a little security guard who's uh, kind of runt of a character, like, "Excuse me, under whose authority?" And he's like, nah, listen here, motherfucker!" <laughs> right? He's like, "We can't do that, sir." <laughs> hey,
3: You gonna sit in here and tell me that when my daughter could be taken? You close those fucking doors right now, or I'm gonna eat you alive where you stand.
1: Well, he basically he, he basically like chastises this guy to go and lock him, and then he goes to he goes to like use the tannoy system, and the woman kind of tries to throw some sass at him, and it's like she did not just see her colleague get fucking verbally destroyed in front of her eyes. And he just kind of looks at her, and she's like, "Oh, fuck." Um, And before he can speak in the tannoy, the little girl shows up. Right. And he just turns on
3: her, man. He's just like, don't you ever fucking do that again.
1: (laughs) Well, it makes, when you think about it now in the context of what we know, would it not make sense that the girl would not want to be around her father if she grew up in the household with a father who was obsessed with a missing little girl?
3: Oh yeah, and also, I mean, we'll get to it here in in just a minute, but I mean, also, a, a household that was not the
1: most happy, you know? No, and no. yeah, it's not uh, happy. Like he shakes chicks are half to death, and then yeah, and then fucking like, start to fucking swearing at her and go. He goes, he he goes, ott, not that way where a parent gives a kid. Around and then is relieved that they have got them back. It's just all one one anger. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, it, it it's totally like you do that again, I'm gonna put you right in the fucking mouth. <laughs> uh, you understand what I will hit you like a man. <laughs> I will bury you alive. <laughs> I will bury you up to your neck and watch as the ants bite your face. <laughs> Don't you ever fucking do this again? <laughs> You're already not going to eat for a week. Get used to that idea. You understand what I'm saying, Rebecca? I know you've got shit in your head because you just wandered off like an
0: asshole.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So after he humiliates his child in in public, we come back to 1980 and Hoyt Foods. Mm. Hoyt not hot Duncan not hot and they're interviewing uh the dude who is in charge uh forget his name and he's got this real teen pageant picture of his daughter uh and, yeah, and got, wife like, some
1: weird kind of community kid outreach program the- that
3: he's it's the Ozarks Children Outreach Center, a.k.a. the Molestation Palace, Duncan.
1: Well, once again, you get that, and then what my brain switches to is season one and the Tuttle fucking, what was it, the Tuttle Institute of uh-huh. Learning? Yeah. And I'm just like that. You know, Nick lot we've said a lot about the guy. He likes time. He likes death. He likes the portrayal of complicated, dark characters, but he is not averse to saying, give a man a position of authority he will fuck a child yeah
3: yeah like it it, you can't not like because season one was what it was you can't be in season three of true detective and as soon as it's like well here at the ozarks children outreach center (laughs) we'd like to lead children out into the woods and it's like you're fucking them you are (laughs) fucking those kids
1: why would you do that yeah, it just, it was so, like, it just kind of caught me, like, where I looked that. I, I don't know if this is just common themes that he likes to just go back to, um, like, again and again. And, of course, like, the the, the kind of minister church guy we're about to meet in a couple of seconds. If this dude's not a kid fucker, then the, the priest certainly is. Um, <laughs> oh,
3: right. Yeah, we've got two potential kid fuckers in the same episode. Yeah, it just, like, is, <laughs> it's
1: just, like, it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, you we we got some money donated to us and all the rest, and you know we want to help out the family. And... Yeah, oh, like Hoyt's grand, uh, like
3: um, old man Hoyt, what started the the molestation palace, aka the Ozarks Children Outreach Center, like started this a couple of years before when his granddaughter died. Did, and... did,
1: but that was what he said when he, he he said when he lost his granddaughter, which I could take as you know died. Or could I take that as in went missing? Well, sure, sure. You know what I mean? And what we're doing with the show, I don't know. I I, I would like to think that if it was went missing, as in vanished, that eyebrows would be raised. The fact that they aren't, we're maybe assuming that, but we're not not taking too much time to focus on that uh, because they very quickly say, listen, what we want from you is uh, we want all the worksheets for everyone in the factory. And the guy's like, that's, like 700 and a uh, Dorf on sarcasm uh, <laughs> says well so you get them up here the cinema will be done um, and he's like yeah that's, that's not kinda, yeah. sarcasm at all that's that accurate that's well, accurate and I will I won't do that
3: <laughs> and then there's, somebody asks, like hey where is Mr. Hoyt anyway and the totally non molester um, is, is like oh he's on safari oh. and Dorf on joke says oh really my partner's a little bit of a hunter, too.
1: Yeah, he's on safari hunting kids.
3: Uh huh. Hunting kids' virginity is what he's Oh, on.
1: boy. Oh. oh,
3: yeah. I'm the creep. <laughs> um, <He said> it.
0: <laughs> and so,
3: and there, there's a nice scene that follows this where we, we go to the station where we just see Hayes and Dorf working the case after everybody leaves. Yeah. And so Hayes is sorting through uh, some of the drawings uh, that he got. And one of them is, like, um, a counter with some drawers. Yeah. And so there's that. And then there's another of a castle. And then uh, on that, Hayes is arranging all these little slips of paper with the, you know, poison pen pal stuff. (laughs) And... (laughs) And then, <laughs> thank you, Fright Night. Um, <laughs> and then Dorf is like, hey, this th- they, he's looking through some character sheets. And he's like, this kid played this game a lot. But with who? Mm. And then Dorf stands up and puts a card. Like, they've got this board arranged that's a bunch of cards that uh, have, like, you know, why, why did they lie about? The friend and, you know, and and now Dorf uh, adds a new note that just says secret friend question mark on the board as well. Yeah. And then we cut to 1990 and uh, <laughs> Dorf on the 90s says <laughs> we wanted to know who they were meeting and who gave those dolls to Julie. Yeah. And um, they were like, well, what was what the next move was that they had to shut down the park where you know they were found except for the search parties and then we cut back to 1980 which is amelia and uh detective hayes on a search for a body date
1: yeah best sort of dates (laughs) well in theory
3: they're just searching for a body but there's a whole lot of tension and Mm. she's like hey so you were really a tracker in the war and he's like yeah and uh she says you know were you uh uh, like a, a really a hunter like they say and he's like i was and um he says you know it's funny about how uh all those he asked her if she was a protester and she's like yeah i was a protester he's like yeah it's funny how all those protests stopped when the draft did yeah and because this season is very much about the vietnam war obviously and the effects. yes you know how uh, how it, it lingers in in those who have returned home and um, they talk about that time poem again, and Amelia has this like fruity explanation about like, no, you know, it's how we are part of time and one with time, so we can't name time. And Hayes is like, hey, is it cool if I just blow your mind real quick? <laughs> and he's like, what if the reason that they can't name time in the poem um, is because it's like, you know, the Hebrews not being able to speak the name of the word God. Hmm. and you see on her face where she's like fuck that's pretty good
1: (laughs) stolen (laughs) oh man
3: like I kind of want to fuck this guy now
1: (laughs) she's like that yep 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 I'm wet right now I am wet
3: (laughs) I'm looking for a child's body and I am moist
1: (laughs) I'm so conflicted
3: yeah that ought to we should just cut everything else out of the episode except that line (laughs) That's it, the whole episode is like eight seconds long, <laughs>
0: um,
3: but that's where oh. we are on this show. And, uh, <laughs> and then smooth as Hayes is like, so think we should get some dinner sometime after like laying out this poem interpretation. It's like you were getting
1: fucked. Yeah. Um, road like sea
3: biscuit. Mm. And then in, but just to offset this, we cut to, uh, forward to 1990, where mm. Amelia's coming home after her, you know, dinner date with Deputy Dipshit from this <laughs> other police department. And she's like, Hey, I've got great news about the fingerprints. And, uh, Hayes is like, You drunk? And she's like, Nah, I had a drink or two, maybe, but, you know, hey, I got some good information. He's like, Maybe you don't be so fucking happy about it.
1: Yeah. It, oh and, yeah
3: and but it, it like you said it is that thing of, of she has this academic interest in this case yeah. where she's genuinely happy about the notion that she is going to help break
1: this case yeah she's genuinely happy that there's another twist in the plot yeah whereas to Hayes, it's it, this is the this is the ongoing obsession this is a jigsaw that is missing the piece you know and the the ocd's mind of i can i can't rest i can't rest because my, my my job isn't my job wasn't done or what i thought was done is not done and yeah it, this is this is where the, the conflict happens what i love about this is this might be one of the more realistic portrayals of what a couple's argument is actually like in real life on screen
3: yeah, it, well, it starts in the office, mm-hmm. and then there's the bit where he's like, you know, oh, I finally read the book too, and that, that's where he, uh, he has the discussion or, or the line about, um, I couldn't get through because I, I kept getting tired of saying my name. Yeah, and so we cut away from them for a minute. We'll get to the real row momentarily.
1: Yeah, because he basically, she says something about, she tries to fight back with him on something he said, and he says that he, you know, he said that he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. So I think it's about her swearing or something, and he could, <laughs> after fucking swearing at her, he basically said, you know, I, I don't want to you know, kind of relitigate this over and over again, I've said my piece. Yeah, uh, Which is totally what people do in real arguments like people will say things and they'd be like very we're not having this, this discussion anymore uh, and it does it carries over into once again one of the most realistic portrayals of a couple's argument on screen i love everything that's happening in this series
3: yeah There the the fight that happens later uh, yeah that we'll we'll talk about in this episode is one of those fights where i'm like this is like you said it just felt very real it's like i've had that argument Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I definitely had that argument. And, and had the same result. And and yeah. it was... Anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> so, but first, though, we got to go back to 1980, where Detective Hayes is searching through the woods again and finds some dice in this little area uh, surrounded by rocks.
1: Yeah.
3: And then he, he also finds a canvas bag that's filled with toys and games. Yep. And then nearby on a rock, Duncan finds himself some hairs and blood.
1: Yeah, it's like literally the worst cookie crumb trail of all time. It just gets more depressing and weird by each step. So his first find is like, oh, look, there's this weird dungeon. Right. Then he finds wrapped in some and now there's these creepy dolls and oh yeah, there's blood in here. Uh, (laughs) Here's a child's shoe. (laughs) Here's
3: a mannequin hung from a tree. (laughs) A pile of bloody clothes.
1: A dead hedgehog.
3: Right. Uh, (laughs) It's a curse in Haiti. Uh, And so he starts following this, you know, trail of doom to a dirt road. And then up this dirt road is this giant farmhouse.
1: Yeah, this is quite interesting, this, actually. Because this kind of throws up the... Something that's mentioned in the not too distant future about who exactly was doing the investigation and what information made its way to the file. Right. Right. Because yeah. the the guy in there, so we basically jumped to this. Th- this actor seemed familiar, but I couldn't place him. I'm sure I've seen him in things before, probably playing a similar role. Uh, you know, dirty and yeah. watched hippie homeowner.
0: Right. Uh,
3: old man, grumpy. Any number
1: of shows, but but they go up to speak to him. So I've got a uh, Hayes and West, um, decide that they're going to have a little word with this homeowner here, uh, who they say wasn't questioned in the first run,
3: right? But he clearly was because here we are he in 1980,
1: him. yeah. And he says that he was because they, they go up and speak to him anyway, and he says, you know. Yeah, I spoke to some cops. Uh, they they did speak to me, and they're like, "What do you mean they spoke? Who spoke to you?" So, is there someone else working the case as what well? like, is this is this part of the conspiracy? Well, and that's going to come out of this. You he, know what I mean? He says it was it was
3: a guy in a suit with a badge, and
1: yeah. that's
3: all he knows. And he was like, "They already asked me about the missing kids," and uh, he said, "I'll tell you what I told them, which is I saw the kids a couple of times before, and I also saw a car." Uh, that was a brown sedan. There was a yep. man and a woman. And he was like, it's no. like you guys. It was a black a black guy and a, and a white lady. And they're like, well, can, can we search your property? And he's like, well, no. <laughs> and he, they're like, well, we can get a warrant. And he's like, well, then fucking get one.
1: <laughs> no.
3: Up your nose with a rubber hose. I bid you Fight. good day.
1: So, so we get like so. What we're getting here is that there appears to be someone else working the case. Maybe someone that's asking questions. Any anyway, bit about what you saw, but we get this mention of this brown sedan, which is the first time we've heard about this, but won't be the last before the end of this. Ep- well, if it's not this episode, it's definitely the next one.
3: Yeah, it it it's certainly a big deal. Like we're getting some real clues here, yeah, and. Uh, so then we flash forward to 2015 where Hayes is being interviewed and he he's saying, like, look, whatever the flaws were in the case, everybody was doing everything they could to solve this. You know, the hmm. way he puts is I believe everybody was given everything they had. And the interviewer is like, yeah, but what about. These oh,
1: fucking really,
3: yeah. <laughs> well, what about this? Yeah, it's a real kind of gotcha thing, like you see on some of these shows, where like, what about this interview about this brand sedan, brown sedan that never made it into the final report? And as she's kind of laying this out, instead of Hayes being like defensive about it, he's he's like, well, what else do you have? What do you know? Like, yeah. you clearly you you clearly have some information, and if you found Julie. You need to tell me that, and that's where his his son Jerkface Hayes is like, "We're done here," and because Hayes is getting all excited, and there's this argument, and finally Hayes is like, "That is all for today, yeah," and we're gonna we're gonna cut it, but it's like, okay, whatever. Whatever surprise uh, the the director was trying to spring on Hayes, in a way, it kind of backfires because instead of him being like, oh, my God, you know, like I, I storming off and getting angry about it. He's like, what do you know? Like, yeah. I, if you can help me solve this case, then great. Mm-hmm. So in, back in 1980, we're searching the Texas Chainsaw Farmhouse. <laughs> and <laughs> speaking of Stephen Dorf and um, let face. Get on out here and <laughs> in 1980. I'm John Lyricette. They gave me weed to do this. Let's Texas shades on trivia moment. Um. <laughs> so they find some more like toys and these dolls. And uh, they, they take some pictures because they want to go show the parents and be like, hey, we're, did these toys belong to these kids? Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, the trash man, the, the dude what we interviewed in the previous episode, uh, the the former vet as well, the one who just could never shake what happened to him overseas and lost his family, and is a bit of a nut, but he's not you know, a monster or anything, but was an early suspect. And like, Hey, you saw these kids or you were seen at the same time as these kids. And, uh, he's being trailed by a couple of pickup trucks.
1: Yeah. Like, see when we saw this character before, did you not get the sneaking suspicion that this was going to happen? Like vigilante justice will turn on the native American and not on the place that it should be like the parents who... One of which was very, very drunk. The other one was working on a car. And um, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it, right. Right. It's, they took her jobs.
3: <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it certainly takes its turns um, yeah. here. And uh the rednecks kick the shit out of this guy like they pull him out of his little go-kart and and kind of beat the shit out of him and then he he defends himself a little
1: bit and that kind of amplifies the beatdown.
3: right that's when things get serious is after he he uh he tries to defend himself and then they pull a gun on him and are like you need to get out of town if we see you around the kids again we're, we're gonna fucking kill you dude and they kind of leave him beaten and bloody by the side of the road and take off
1: yeah they're completely forgetting that this guy is a
3: war vet <laughs> right like here's the one person you don't fuck with the slightly touched war veteran
1: <laughs> from Native American and ancestry right
3: <laughs> yeah I, I mean there is no such thing as Native American privilege you know yeah. it, like <laughs> yeah. he's already wound tight um so after, after seeing him get the shit kicked out of him, uh, what's his name? Broad street or wood, wood, something wood street, something <laughs> like that. Anyway, Woodard, I think is his name. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. In 1990, uh, dwarf on IROG Z's, uh, rolls up and you're like, of course you have a fucking IROG Z and he visits a uh, scooter McSober now. A scooter makes sober and cleaned up. Yeah, and he, well, he's living in a trailer park, and he doesn't look like he's doing great, but he's doing better in a Is weird way. Is he
1: living in the trailer park because his house has burned down? <laughs> Perhaps so. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and
3: he says he's he's five years sober now, and he's like, I'm I'm so grateful to you, Stephen Dorf uh for helping me out and and you know pulling him up uh at his lowest and and dorf is like no man it's cool and for a second i thought they were fucking <laughs> because again it's true detective I'm like is he gonna be the secret gay detective <laughs> um and it turns out now so uh he, yeah,
1: there is no dorf and dong in this one
3: no I'm, much to all of our chagrins yeah <laughs> um and but uh Scooter McReligious now is like, Hey, I want you to pray with me. And he's like, yeah, all right, I guess. And so Scooter, uh, is praying for release essentially of just like, let me free of all this rage and vengeance and sorrow. Like, just let me rise above all that. Let me be better than that is what he's praying for. And meanwhile, um Hayes uh, as we hear this voiceover of this prayer is going through evidence yeah and we see his gun uh you know uh, again in this scene and I'm like oh man he's totally gonna use that gun <laughs> not on himself but I think this ends with him shooting whoever the killer was with that gun or shooting himself, or himself. But this right is now, Nick.
1: this is Nick has given us various different endings in True Detective already. The one thing he's not given us is suicide. <laughs> you're
3: right. You're right. Maybe we've just got to tick that box. <laughs> and then he sees uh Amelia telling him, that, and this is all happening in 2015, where she's like, "So, you know, uh talking about the the theories of the multiverse." Yeah. And shit like that. And and, and that, I was
1: like, oh yeah, just do it to me. Do right. And she's me. like, well,
3: so you believe that, you know, the future, present, and past are all separate, but now that illusion is falling away. Yeah. And and you're struggling with that. And then he sees his young children come running down the steps, which of course is impossible because it's twenty fifteen. And, and <laughs> then uh he he asks if he lost Rebecca and she says, yes, but not in the way you think. Yeah. And she says, uh, you're worried about what you're going to, that they're going to find what you left in the woods. I know. And
1: yeah, (laughs) Like going it.
3: Uh, huh. And, uh, then we cut back to 1990. Like after this weird spirit journey that Hayes goes on, where his memory just totally breaks down and it's kind of an interesting representation. There's another one in the next episode that I don't think is very good, but I get it. Um, yeah. where it's like, this is Hayes perception of time happening all at once. Uh, it's almost that, you know, Vonnegut twin Peaksian kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's like the,
1: it's like the final shots from six feet under. Yes. Yes. Well done, sir. I know. I, I do love the end of that I, TV show. It's, I one think the, it's one
3: of the best. <laughs> you're 100 percent right. It is one of the best finales of all time.
1: Um, um, and then, but yeah, yeah. What, what's quite interesting about this as well, though, is the fact that, like, so we're getting all this. We're getting it broken down. He's getting all this multiverse shit flung at him. Um, and she talks about something in the woods. Can we speculate at this point? Let's say that he's doesn't find satisfactory justice in the investigation and takes the law into his own hands and that may be what he's left in the woods maybe kill someone and that's the that's the secret that can't come out because that would prove he's a murderer he's judge jury and executioner maybe he thinks he knows who did it and he took that person out and got some good old-fashioned vigilante justice and that's the secret he's loving with.
3: Or, uh, potentially burying some information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, the, the, a key bit of evidence to frame someone. Right. Or, yeah, or just make the case go well. Um, anyway.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We, we, I don't know. We'll find out, though. <laughs> like,
3: one presumes.
1: <laughs> Nick, don't, don't leave us hanging. Yeah, right.
3: So, uh... Hayes is at the station, he gets a message to meet a lieutenant, and I think all of us are like, oh, we're about to get rolling back in 1992, because so far it's just been him in 1980, as far as being with Hayes at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then, but before we get to that, though, uh, we cut back to 1980, where uh, our trash man is getting a very gun-like bag (laughs) from his shed. (laughs) <laughs> where he's like all wound up and is like, I gotta get this this bag uh, uh, out of storage where I've hidden it for myself, and yeah, it's we, like we, uh, we like
1: to call this the we like to call this the Waco bag. Um, yes,
3: uh, yes. Just, they,
1: just in case for uh, in case of siege, um uh, deploy your Waco bag. It's a
3: Chekhov's bag, <laughs> and <laughs> so we. We leave there, uh, and, and Dorf on pictures is showing uh, the toys to the family. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we didn't buy any of that shit for our kids. Yeah. And this is where Hayes is flipping through the family album. Oh, yeah. And finds a picture of, of the little boy uh, that they found uh, in the same pose in which he was found with his you know hands together, like, steepled as if in prayer. And yep. it's uh, a picture of from his first communion where it, I mean, it is exact. Like his eyes are closed in the picture and the whole thing. He looks, he looks like he's in a coffin in the picture.
1: And it's also in the opening credits. It is as a picture on the wall, though, and not in the photo album. So, well, thought that was quite interesting. We'll get to that. Cause, uh,
3: in, after we, we get this revelation, we cut back to 1990 and Dorf, uh, on drinking rolls into a bar <laughs> that's covered with like military flags it's like it's a bfw i think mm-hmm. um which i don't know do you guys have an equivalent of that in in scotland the
1: it's uh, yeah it's the the uh, uh, the legion i think is what they call it legion legion pubs right
3: but basically if you if you've been in military service it's like you this is a place you can go and be around other people who have served yeah um and dorf shows up and uh he says like hey we're gonna reopen the purcell case and uh they, better yet like the bartender is giving him some shit about being there in the first place for like hey we we'll are bridge a service yeah. and um
1: it's what it says what war
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> what war were you we in and and uh hayes sticks up for him here and it's like yeah. no 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 he's cool give him his double southern comfort Which sounds both delicious and terrible at the same time
1: (laughs) no ice just warm
3: yeah just southern comfort man that's all right Mm. so um but he's he says hey they're gonna do a task force and i'm gonna be in charge and we're gonna look at the purcell case and he's like so do you want to i don't know be a detective again and there's a little bit of shit that hayes gives him about like oh you know like did the promotion come with the pigmentation you know yeah, s- stuff like that
1: a, something about taking a bullet which kind of went over my head a little bit and one of these guys must take a bullet
3: yeah yeah so at at some point in in probably 80
1: and oh yeah, well, yeah I, I would imagine at the end of this episode into the next one that's probably when it happens but um <laughs> so, if you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I do know what you mean
3: and <laughs> Hayes uh, is is giving him shit up until the point where Dorf is
1: just like, hey, man, I'm actually your friend here. Let me say something like, uh, clearly you had a, a good couple of drinks before I got in here or something. Uh, something along those lines. Uh, and say you, it's that, you know, you, you're giving me shit here. I'm going to put it down to the fact you've been drinking.
3: Right. He's giving him the out. And, and to his credit, Hayes is finally like, yeah, man, I do want to actually be a real cop again. And yeah. th- I didn't
1: mean that pigment Coleman. right?
3: I yeah, I didn't mean that. And he's like, yeah, I didn't either. You know, it's it's cool, man. Like we're it's okay. You've had a rough time of things. I understand it, but this is the hand up now. Like yeah. you, you are you, you have your shot at redemption. And so Hayes agrees, and there endeth the third episode. Hmm. So Duncan. Yeah. We are going to whip right around. Oh. And talk about the fourth episode of uh, True Detective Almost at Twin Peaks. Can you imagine? I know.
1: It's, it sticks with you so much. I've actually been considering seeing the last like two, three weeks. I've been considering going back through it all again. And I'm like, what are you doing to yourself? <laughs> I, I
3: honestly, I thought about hitting that last season again as well. Oh. Uh, you, know, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know both. Episode four of season three of True Detective is entitled The Hour and the Day. Yeah. This uh marks the directorial debut of uh, writer and creator Nick
1: Pizzolato. Slightly longer one as well, this one. So we're up in the, this one's over an hour long. It
3: It is, but like I was telling you, uh kind of in between uh recording here that uh i have actually fewer notes on this one it feels like a lot of this is um the, uh, i don't want to say stylistic flair duncan i'm just saying like there are are things that are allowed to breathe in this episode in a way that yeah. i do not i do not dislike i'm just saying not as much happens
1: yeah i think this is a deliberate choice here when it comes to I get the feeling that this is directed very much in the way that Nick Pistolato writes. Well, in and it, that everything has room to breathe. And sometimes that room to breathe will bear fruit. And sometimes it will just kind of stagnate, but not in an unpleasant way.
3: <laughs> well, I don't know that anything stagnating is positive, but. Um, <laughs> no, I, I will say, I. I don't feel like this felt overlong or anything. No, as I was no, watching it, uh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, and uh, all right, so let's let's get into it here. Mm-hmm. We start in 1980, and Dorf and Hayes are going to have a, a little chat with the pastor at the local church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the 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 Pontiff
1: Rapey Raperson, yes.
3: And as soon as we see him, he is teaching a youth group, which is not yeah. a good
1: sign. No, no. I was like, well, someone please think of the
3: fucking children. Right. Th- that is Nick Pizzolato for this guy's a creep. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like when they finally start talking to this dude, this is where we see the picture of of the kid, you know, do uh, the, the dead kid in the pose yeah and except you know this is the live version when he was doing the communion and the, uh they're like hey do you know who took the, this picture and uh father rapey says well i did <laughs> is, how do you like the lighting yeah. um and they're like uh-huh how about these creepy dolls have you ever seen these before and he's like oh yeah <laughs> Patty Faber makes those.
1: Oh yeah, pie pie.
3: And, and and he's actually not that creepy. He's like, yeah, actually, I do. know. I. You know, <laughs> Patty Faber is a good uh, and decent woman. You a should dear good woman. A dear good woman. You should go talk to her. But uh, she is not going to be involved in any of this. No. And uh, they ask uh, Father Raperson if. <laughs> if if, uh he knew the kids and he was like yeah i mean kind of um he was like i remember the girl being excited about seeing an aunt and they're like well she doesn't have an aunt he's like well i don't know what to tell you i mean i can just tell you what the kid said these Mm -hmm. kids are fucking stupid have you talked to him he doesn't (laughs) say that um and then in the car after having this conversation immediately dwarf on the obvious is like i don't
1: trust him at all yeah, it's the legend the, of like Dorf is the audience. Yeah. And like, Dorf on the audience because the first thing he says is exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, he's the guy, isn't he? Yeah,
3: and and he's this alone.
1: this is one of those lines I dearly love
3: where uh he's like, look, everybody's fucking something. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true and it's yeah, a it's great
1: like, line. Yeah, cuz it says doesn't trust any any man who would i can't remember the exact turn of phrase but it doesn't touch to anyone that just forgoes sex
3: right like you're you're either jerking off or it's a lady or it's a dude or it's a horse or whatever it is you're into everybody's fucking something yeah and and i believe in that um and i think it's good i think it's healthy i think you know you, you got to draw the line about certain things to fuck but you should yep. be fucking that's, yes that's a stand i am willing
1: to take Yep, that you can buy your Duncan and Bull concrete. You should be fucking t-shirt coming <laughs> next year. Um I think I think it's a simple message, but it resonates with all. Yeah, yeah if you're, you're th- an incel, if you're an incel, then you the you should not be fucking. Let's not, actually, let's not, honestly, let's not it would, that bunch of fucking. It uh, would
3: do them a world of good. They ought to be <laughs> fucking
1: too. Yeah, everyone should be fucking because if you aren't fucking, then. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> there's all right. There's a nice little
3: turnaround here too. Aside from our <laughs> our mantra of you should be fucking
1: the, the church of you should be fucking. Yeah,
3: <laughs> and that's how I like to start uh, most conversations. Hey, hey, you should be fucking.
1: You, hey, you, you, hey, hey, you, you, hey, oh, you, hey, Duncan. Good, yo. Have you heard yeah. the
3: good news? I haven't, but. You should be fucking. I should be. I, I sh- think about it think about it for a second just think about what how much better right now would be if you were fucking instead
1: it would be much better it would be you
3: (laughs) you should be fucking you should be fucking thanks i get the
1: feeling that that will very much like our uh (laughs) very much like a previous episode will make its way into a witch versus a doomsday clock advertisement i hope so i can only uh, that that's what we aim for really yeah, <laughs> not uh, not satisfied that we have about a million different character voices and God knows how many weave threads of timelines and shows and God knows what other nonsense here. But we also want to give fuel and fodder for other shows to continue perpetuating it out with ours. a yes. kind, of, kind of weird universe. It's yeah,
3: it's the Duncan and bone The d- <laughs> because you should be fucking Duncan.
1: You should be fucking bold. Thank you. Uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) there's a pretty great moment here where Dorf is like, um, you know, what if this crime, what if the kid was was killed like uh, accidental? Mm. And Hayes is like, hmm, let me think about that. Hey, I got an (laughs) idea. What if, what if it was all about the girl? Mm -hmm. And Dorf is like, yeah that's what i fucking just said man yeah. like i know you're a super detective at all but how about a little credit where fucking dorf is due you know
1: it, it does that thing that all great ceos of companies do where someone comes up with a really good idea and they sit in silence for a couple of minutes and then hypothesize the same idea and get the round of applause <laughs> yeah it's a real kind of jerk move on Hayes' part as far yeah. as i'm concerned um <laughs>
3: And but Dorf has the decency to just be like let it go Dorf let it go <laughs> He's he's a good man just let it ride. Um so they go to to check in on Patty Faber who's just this old wrinkled like mothball of a lady.
1: Yeah, she looks like she could be one of several characters in all those Michael Bay remakes of horror movies that has a trailer out there that the characters run into. And at first they're greeted, but then we find that sinisterly she's actually involved with the family they're escaping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I,
3: I, I thought of her as a dry sugar cookie brought to life. <laughs> <laughs> and dumped in a turtleneck sweater. <laughs>
0: well I just you know I make dolls
1: <laughs> and yeah like, called devil traps I mean yeah
0: yeah i you know I do it for the lord
3: and she she says uh that one dude brought bought ten of these things off of her yep and they're like well can you describe this weirdo that bought ten yeah. of these things
1: uh, I, I love the description as well it's uh, concise and right to the point. I believe yeah. she calls him a, "a dead-eyed Negro man." Or
3: yeah, well, she goes, "He was like you. He was a Negro, but had a dead eye." <laughs> yeah. And then there's this moment where uh, Hayes is like, "Well, can you tell me any more? Was he handsome? Was he ugly?" And she was like, "Well, he was black." Yeah, and the look he gives her of just like you fucking dumbass racist. <laughs> Like, you you understand how unhelpful that is, that you're just, oh, black people look the same. It's like, yeah. have you fucking seen Denzel Washington? Hmm. Do you understand how hot He's this can that. get? Yeah. Look, look at that, and then you look at, say, your Flavor Flav. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. if you cannot discern a notable difference between those two individuals... Then yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. You're yeah, like if that's you, a,
1: If you don't look at Denzel Washington and think King Kong ain't got shit on him, then
3: I don't know what I can do for you. The, I look at him and I say, you know, there's a man who's never done PCP. Yeah. <laughs> I, on the other hand, uh no, I've never done PCP. <laughs> uh but so they're like, Well, how how how, why did this guy buy all these dolls? Did not did you ask? And uh, she says, well, he
0: said he had all these nieces and nephews.
3: <laughs> oh, no. And, and he, they're just like, ugh, God, you're yep. gross and useless. So <laughs> they fuck off out of there. And then we go to 1990 and where Hayes comes in, and this is the, the argument that is like, oh, this is a good one. This yep. is the kind of argument that inevitably leads to one thing yeah uh, where he comes in and he's like hey guess what i got uh you remember roland my old my old partner hey he's a lieutenant now and he offered me a job and i'm gonna be working the purcell case again
1: and we're reopening <laughs> that. remember remember when i wasn't happy about your good news well i've got good news that you can be happy right about. and
3: then she's like oh are we happy about that murder again and you're like
1: oh shit <laughs> like like, like, you know for a fact that after that first argument like a bit of time went past and he's turned around to her and said are we okay now and she went I'm fine and he actually thought she was fine right <laughs> between the lines well but he points out he's like oh here we go
3: here uh, here's a mistake that i made that comes back with interest surprise
1: surprise stop the presses yeah but i was i was looking at it going yes yes that's that's how this works and if you don't know that you shouldn't be married you should be fucking um he should be fucking duncan and that's where we're headed because they
3: start arguing about this and it's getting more and more heated to the point that Like, we cut to the kids in the living room hearing this because it's happening in the kitchen. And the kids are like, oh, listen, mom and dad going at it. And then... (laughs) Which they'll
1: be seeing later on as well.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's a nice full circle. (laughs) And then we see Amelia, like, storm through the living room, go upstairs, and she just disappears.
1: Well, she does that. She makes a point, raises the argument to the next level, and then decides to leave before her husband can retaliate right? Um, as one of my least favorite things that happens in the McLeish household when it comes to arguments is comments will be thrown out and the opportunity to retort is not always given the, the space yeah. that it so desperately needs. And so after she storms off,
3: uh, Hayes walks in the living room and is going after her and stops long enough to be like, hey, you kids cool? <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, now nah, we're fine. Go take care of mom. Yeah. And he's like, all Go right. get that bitch. And he's like, I got some shit to deal with. You kids watch TV for a little bit. I'll be upstairs with your mom.
1: She says that thing. She turns around and walks around and he goes, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. it's So he goes upstairs,
3: man. And it's great because he's like, hey, <laughs> don't just walk off like that. And, and like you're you're basically criticizing me without giving me the opportunity to respond. Yeah. And I I need you to stop doing that. And she's like, or what, motherfucker? And he's like, or I'll start crying. Yeah,
1: he diffuses (laughs) this. Yeah.
3: I was like, huh? Yeah, and he's like, I am just tired of fighting about this. Like, you know, and and she's like, well, you never apologize. He's like, I'm fucking sorry. (laughs) And he's like, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of coming home and we argue. And I wonder if every now and again, you're going to throw a fuck in my way. Yeah. and she's like how about now and he's like and
1: she she literally hooks up the skirt, panties come off and I'm like oh yeah,
3: yeah right and he's just like is this fucking happening right now <laughs> and and then they get to fucking because both because they should be fucking they should be fucking and then you get the cut downstairs as there's a like uh, 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 coming from <laughs> upstairs and the kids hear it. and they kind of grin they're like yeah they're they're fucking. Yeah, and then they kind of make up, you know, and it's like it's a nice moment because it's like, like I said, despite all the rage and anger and obsession that's going on in this relationship, at the end of the day, they really do, I think, care for each other.
1: I thought you were about to say, despite all the rage, they're still
3: just a rat in a cage. Well, that's true of us all, Duncan, because the world is a vampire.
1: It is, is Billy Corgan. You are the true prophet, and people will only realize that after your death.
3: Uh, he'll never die. He will live on in wrestling <laughs> forever. Um, but so after the the uh, fuckathon in
1: 1990, <laughs> the great fuckathon of 1990.
3: Yeah, it's oh man, I, I love that scene so much. It's a great, just
1: fucking great scene.
3: Yeah, it's it's well acted. It's well it's well done. It's kind of funny, and the the point where he says. You know, when she's like, "Well, what are you gonna do if I if I don't stop?" And he's like, "Cause I'll cry." Yeah. Is one of the great moments in this episode where you're like, "You're right, man." He's just like, "I'm not gonna hit you or anything. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a monster, but I'm also just horribly upset now. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so frustrated and angry about the fact that we're angry." Yeah. Um, and I, I I love those arguments where you're just like, "I look, I'll give up." Anything at this point just to not be arguing. You Mm -hmm. know? Um, because I will oh dude, I will fucking collapse like a house of cards, Duncan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an easy win when it comes to a good old relationship fight. All, All you gotta do is really start crying hard. And I'm like, all right, what is it? What do I gotta do? You need a new car? Fine. Just make this stop. So Back in 1980, Duncan, uh, Dorf and Hayes are cruising through the black neighborhoods, which is where, like the lady uh, when they ask, like, do you know where he he came from? And she's like, well, I assumed it was from the black neighborhood. Yeah, it's somewhere and black. Yeah. And like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> You're, like, You're the fucking worst. And But that's where they are. And it's, there's a great moment where um, he's like, well, where do you want to start? Uh, Hayes says. And Dorf is like, I don't know, the liquor store. And Hayes is like, "That's fucking racist, man." And he's like, "There's three fucking businesses here, yeah, and that one's open. How about we just start there?"
1: Yeah, it's not racism; it's police work, it's, <laughs> right, right? It's
3: just here's the here's one of the three places we should go. Um. Anyway, so rightfully though, they go to the liquor store. They're like, "Hey, man, like if you ever get in trouble." It'd be nice to have helped out some cops. So why don't you tell us if you know anybody that's got a dead eye? And they're like, yeah, uh, you know, this guy named Whitehead. And they're like, all right, thanks, liquor store guy. Let's go check out Whitehead. And sure enough, in this trailer park, they find Miss Yula Whitehead. And he's just an old black dude. What has a dead eye? and uh they they start chatting and he's immediately like what the fuck you guys want with me what are you trying to pin on me and they're like nothing man we just got some questions for you <laughs> and he looks this is another of my favorite lines in the episode where he looks at uh uh haze and is like you how do you wear that badge and he goes well, got a little clip on the back that's <laughs> <laughs> so good so good <laughs> And, but meanwhile, Whitehead is like, hey, everybody come over here and look at the oppression. <laughs> so there's a small crowd forming around him, uh, around like Dorf and Hayes, and somebody just chucks a bottle at Stephen Dorf, and he pulls his gun, and it, like things are about to pop off, and they just push Whitehead into the trailer. And they're like, "Hey, man! Like, we're not trying to to cause a riot here, but here's the situation: these white kids went missing. Here's the evidence we have. We were told that there is a black man with a dead eye at, at the center of our suspect list, and you are such a person." And he's like, "Look, man! Like, around these parts, people work at the the uh, food company, the Hoyt Food Plant." he was like, man, people got missing toes and fingers and bad eyes and all kinds of stuff. Like, just because I got a dead eye, don't mean I had shit to do with any of this.
1: Yeah, but did he work at the plant, though, boy? Yeah, he did indeed. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) So now we're like, linkage?
3: Yeah, but he, he seems fairly innocent, just paranoid. Does he, Bo? He does to me.
1: He's got a dead eye. He's practically a Bond villain. And
3: and and so like, the, and they're willing to let him go for now, but they have to use him as a human shield to get back to their
1: car. Yeah, because earlier on, when he was pointing at the oppression, he was basically in that scene from Jurassic Park where he's like, Dodson, <laughs> Dodson's here. Yeah. Dotson, everyone look. Except you people know, cared that there was you know, a cares, like that. there's like The popo was rolled up into my hood. <laughs> That's exactly what they said. That's a sentence I never thought I would have to say as a Scotsman.
3: You d- didn't have to say it uh, <laughs> as a Scotsman or anybody else. <laughs> you should be fucking, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should be fucking, Duncan. Um, <laughs> but when they get back to the car, somebody has busted in the windshield. Partially. And Dorf is just like, motherfucker. And so they get rid of Whitehead. And then we cut to them, like, taking off out of the place. Where Dorf is cranking his head around, trying to see through this busted windshield.
1: Is Ventura-like.
3: Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> and Hayes is like, you know, when you pulled that gun, were you about to shoot one of them guys? Like, you seem awful, awful froggy. And Dorf, uh, on racism here, says... Yeah. Hey, man, like, if anything, I was more hesitant because I did not want to escalate that situation. If that had been a group of white dudes and I had seen my windshield busted, some motherfucker was going to get shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and Hayes is like, well, all right. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, like the fact that he, again, this made me like his character more when he was like, no, if those guys had been white, somebody would have been shot. Mm-hmm. Like I was restraining myself in that scenario. Cause I'm real pissed about what happened to my car. Um, and then we cut to 2015 and, uh, Hayes shows up at the police department and surprise, surprise, jerk face. Hayes is a cop too and he asks his stupid kid for help tracking down uh some names cuz he's you know talks about how he's been he's been working on the investigation again and he wants uh some names Lo- primarily Roland who he yeah. has not talked to presumably since the events of 1990 and doesn't know if he's alive or dead and neither does the son and um says it may be able to help him fill in some of the blanks right right that he can he can be uh haze's memory where it fails and uh and when the kid's like you really need to give this up he's like no 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 it's keeping me sharp and it really is helping me remember my life it does
1: say something about potential writing a book
3: yes that this might turn into a book as well and Hmm um then he says like hey you seen that director since uh the last time we uh we were recording and he's like no i haven't seen that director what are you
1: talking about and it's like <laughs> oh they're totally fucking and yeah, well they did call each other by first names when they had that argument yeah and which belies a little issue there but isn't he married
3: uh yeah he most certainly is oh dirty
1: dog and (laughs) you're a dirty dog and he's like no
3: i haven't seen her since that day that she was criticizing you in the case yeah and he's like "Mm -hmm. all right well look hashtag you should be fucking you you should not be fucking no you're a right man you should be fucking your wife yeah um so hayes uh like eventually jerk face is like i'll take you home and then we go to 1990, where uh, the attorney general, who is the, the guy who in 1980 was the well, like assistant DA or something, that was on yep. his way up. And the one who was the asshole who revealed all the evidence.
1: Revealed it early, yeah.
3: And so he's now the attorney general, and he shows up uh, to have a conversation with Hayes and uh, Dorf. And he basically says, you can redeem yourself. And what you are here to do is to go through the evidence and, and support the conviction that we made in
1: 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Toe the party line and you'll come out of this smelling of roses. Right. Back to where you should have been. All is forgiven, but don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, baby.
3: Uh, Don't tip the boat over even. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh so it, it, he's like you know i i'm here to fulfill the uh the job uh you have just described and they're like great you are you're back on the team
1: <laughs> yeah, great answer
0: robocop
3: yeah and as soon as they leave uh he he looks at hayes looks back at dorf and he's like hey are we gonna do any of that shit that they just said and he's like well, i wasn't planning on it yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, which I think is another great moment of like, I really like Roland, you know, yeah. Roland is like, yes, he is the boss and all, but he's like, no man, I know you're a good detective. Like we're going to do the shit that we need to do to solve this.
1: Yeah. Um, he, he, he's certainly, he's, he's coming across as genuine.
3: Yes. Which means he's probably the villain,
1: um, which means he probably was the murderer. Yes. <laughs> so back in 1980, uh, Oh, I'm have Roland's the one that was, shot and buried in the woods
3: and well oh yeah because he would he would be asking what happened to roland because he wouldn't remember yeah because he
1: wouldn't one. remember ah. yeah maybe maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> i don't know i would keep doing it, but it's great
3: uh so uh dwarf on religion and Hayes are at our lady of perpetual <sighs> misery or whatever yeah and about right walking through the aisles just kind of eyeballing everybody in a totally non-creepy church fashion Mm -hmm. and along the way dorf is kind of making eyes with one of the parishioners uh that's kind of cute and so afterwards uh hayes and uh dorf are are talking after the service is over and the the priest is like hey you're gonna actually talk to these cops and they've got a couple of questions for you and please help them out and um so Dorf is still making time with this lady that he met at the church and Hayes ends up talking to the priest and they have this conversation about like the priest says you didn't take Eucharist while you were at church. He was like, well, I haven't had a confession. And the priest says you should, you know, I would be interested in hearing your confession uh, if you ever want to give it and and that kind of thing. But, you know, at the at the end of the day, the the scene is really about establishing um, uh, that the priest does not believe anybody at the church was responsible. Hayes believes that someone was someone affiliated with the church had, had something to do with this crime. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, but we do still don't know who. Um, so then, uh, we go to a dinner date, uh, still in 1980 with Hayes and Amelia,
2: Mm -hmm. which
3: is their, you know, they're like the, the first date, the one that he pitched to her when they were on their secret, finding a body first date <laughs> <laughs> and it's a little awkward at first and then they start talking about the case or he does and um, Amelia theorizes well maybe Will was killed by accident as well you know like everybody seems to be of the mind that maybe the real target all along was Julie uh, including Amelia who who makes that leap on, on her own time mm-hmm. and then they get into a discussion about the word pussy yeah (laughs) and how he doesn't like uh, Hayes doesn't like that word except for men yeah which i think is funny
1: yeah what does he call it instead
3: uh dick holster duncan
1: (laughs) which is kind of funny
3: which is kind of funny and i mean it's a very nick pizzolato line but it's one of those Mm. things where like she it it's disarming enough that they start having a real conversation. And when she's talking about like her life, she was like, I was kind of a mess before and he's like, that's the least surprising thing I've heard all night. <laughs> and cause it's like, you're a little crazy, but I like it cause I am down to fuck. I should be fucking. And, yeah. <laughs> and she's like tracing his hand and that kind of like, it is a, they are a completely going to get it on. Uh, yeah they seen.
1: are a couple of Schmitten kittens
3: They are Schmitten kittens yep they and <laughs> and so at the at the sawhorse though, Dorf strolls in uh because scooter Mcfiy was <laughs> there uh the you know the dad of the kids causing a bit of a scene and uh, they're like, well, we <laughs> he basically asked us to call you instead of the regular cops. And they help him to Dorf's car, and he says, look, I can take you either to jail for the night, or I can take you to my couch. And then Scooter McRacist uh, says a very unflattering thing about Detective Hayes dropping an N-bomb like it ain't no thing.
1: But we knew that because, like I said, right back in the very beginning episode one, Whenever he's made a statement that we should do this, he was met with a kind of standoffish, almost kind of dismissive tone from the scoots. Um, But whenever uh, Dorf on recommending the same suggestion would make that suggestion, scoots was all about it. So, yeah, he's showing his true allegiance to the colour of the skin here. Um Except and, that he immediately starts crying. Of course, he does, and
0: it's like, oh, "I'm so sorry for saying that. I didn't I mean not that. I didn't said that word. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that word."
1: I was wanting to say, like, I, I, what I love about not only Pissalat was writing, but specifically about how kind of that part of America's. Uh, kind of gentry of law enforcement agents speak um, is very eloquent in the use of, like, see when we're talking about the district attorney uh, being there and the way he turns that phrase, you know, you know uh, if you do that, you gain the better graces and ingratiate yourself. In that whole sense, the way they turn a phrase, I think is fucking great. It's like good old fashioned use of the Queen's English. Um, that you only get there. See if this was like a like a New York cop story, be a fucking fucking guy. You fucking play the fucking. I have you. I have your gun, Zabrowski. Right. Um, yeah, you, you know that. But there's something about the South when portrayed in TV shows, specifically when it's sheriffs or, or members of the, the kind of the law enforcement community, where there is a particular turn of phrase which I do appreciate quite a bit. Um and uh you get even here, it's like the people have a good grasp of English. They might be thick as two planks um, or slightly inbred, but at the same time though, they can speak it and I like it. I appreciate it both.
3: There is uh, a loquaciousness to the South. There's the word. There is the word. And uh the the thing the thing you have to remember about the South is that the Southern accent is it has more to do with the British accent than it does anything else you know like the the southern colonies were largely british Mm. and that is where we get our you know the southern gentility and the the sense of propriety and things Mm. like that so the the, do declare both that sort of loquacious manner that you are describing i think comes very much from that of there there is an aristocratic flair to some of that language even and and to your to your point Uh, very specifically uh, you know a a character like uh, Jackie Gleason's character from uh, Smokey and the Bandit even yes like a Buford T. Pusser it's that same thing or uh, Emmett Walsh from uh, Blood Simple (laughs) of having these very elegant ways to describe very foul things
1: sometimes Uh, how would he how would he turn the phrase
0: oh (laughs) in Arkansas (laughs) yeah yeah, in Arkansas. <laughs> it's
1: one of the reasons I do like genuinely love uh, stories told in the Southern Gothic style, is that you tend to find that the uh, the, the the dialogue um, is of a way that pleases my ear quite a bit.
3: Yeah, I I think reading like Flannery O'Connor is such mm. a treat. Because it, it's that sort of thing. Like, A Good Man is Hard to Find is, uh, and Good Country People, both of those, are great examples of describing something very beautifully that is very profane. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's it, it's good stuff. I like it, It's one of the things, like, for all its flaws, the South has a charm, genuinely has a charm to it and a, a manner of both speaking and living that I like.
1: It's, wh- it's why the when the Coen brothers turn their attention to those sorts of stories told in that part of the world, I find their weirdness probably comes off the best through that dialect. Maybe yeah. Through, that, through th- those dialogues, I think it's where it fits the best. And when they've moved away from that into other parts, I, I don't think it works as well. Well,
3: you know, when we talked about Buster Scruggs on the bonus mm-hmm. episode right here on Duncan and come I'm correct. Um, that first bit with Tim Blake Nelson, that first story. Yeah. And that character is, is exactly that.
1: It's the premier example of it, really.
3: Yeah. It's, it's really something. And I love it too. I just, you give me the Coen brothers are even Pizzolatto putting this kind of dialogue into a a Southern sheriff's mouth. You could just let that be a monologue for an hour and I'd probably be all right with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just
0: telling stories about that time, you know, the- uh, that time that convict got loose. You understand just to fall off a goddamn bridge. <laughs> we we found him with a frog stuck in his mouth as the damnedest thing I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I
3: see that movie now. Uh huh. Southern <laughs> Sheriff Emmett Walsh. Emmett Walsh is Sheriff Dickerson.
1: He's he's basically he's the the he's a slightly quirkier uh, Tommy Lee Jones from the country from old men.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> I want uh, house by house search. whatever. hen <laughs> house, owl house, chicken house. You understand. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it wasn't me. Oh, well, I don't care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so much better.
1: Such a good aside. Such uh-huh. a good aside. Everything <laughs> that everything that happened there is gold. <laughs> so oh.
3: yeah, well. I, I can't imagine we won't see a return of M. Emmett Walsh in the next five minutes. Um, yeah,
1: we're going to call these M. Emmett Walsh pit stops.
0: <laughs> right,
3: where he just comes in to tell a story.
0: <laughs> yeah, That gas station will <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so... um
1: <laughs> Emmett Walsh as the Aviar Bardem role in the country. <laughs> oh man, this car has been traveling on oh, its way here.
0: Hey, friend How about we flip this coin? You know how they kill cows? Use this goddamn air. <laughs> oh, oh.
3: Uh, anyway. Uh, Scooter McNod M Emmett Walsh um, ends up sleeping on Dorf's couch. Uh, yeah. in end of story there. Then in 1990, a Lieutenant Dorf is addressing his new task force.
0: <laughs> and Hayes
3: is clearly feeling a little like diminished in the scene where he's kind of in the back. And there's one point even where he just like raises his hand and Lieutenant Dorf as a gag is just like, Yeah, you in the back. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And Hayes is like, uh, look, I, I feel like we should act like we're on a timer here we we can't act like if she's been off the grid that maybe it's not just us looking for her yeah and dorf says all right you're not wrong he may not be right but he is not wrong Mm
0: -hmm. which is
3: another line i like in this of like look that may be bullshit but we have to consider it and i like the idea of it may not be right but it's not wrong i like that a lot and so he he sends uh, the white dudes to go find the uncle, uh, Ben O'Dwyer, uh, that we saw way back in, what, episode one or two? Yeah, and, yeah, that's right, yeah. And um, it, to check him out because, you know, it, it's a potential loose thread. And uh, also the mother has died. In between 1980 and 1990, um, the Purcell in Vegas, I think, yeah, yeah. It, found in Vegas as in a, uh, an OD, I think, yeah, and which we'll get to that here in a second. Um, <laughs> so back in uh, 2015, Hayes goes to the director's house, the, uh, Sarah Gadon's character, and as soon as she opens the door, he clocks two wine glasses on her nightstand. And he's like, Mm-mm. "Oh, I'm sorry, you got company." and she's like um no i don't and he's like oh all right i see how we're going to play this <laughs> uh, and and he basically tells her like i want the whole story if we're going to continue to do this then what i want is for us to share information equally that you don't mm-hmm. try to you don't you're not trying to surprise me on camera and in return we will work together to solve this crime and she says, well, we found the bones of one Dan O'Brien, said uncle. Mon uncle yep. le skeleton. Um, yes. So
1: maybe this
3: is the thing he left in the woods?
1: Well, yeah, because there was the suspicion that, you know, he was maybe a little bit of a creepy peeping Tom.
3: Right. I mean, there was the hole in the in the bathroom wall. Yeah. Or in the, I'm sorry, into uh, the girl's bedroom. And yeah. Uh so they 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 reached this agreement a bit of a détente and hey says look I'm not seeing your fucking my son jerk face
1: <laughs> but if you were to You fuck my son did you fuck see- my son did you fuck my son did you fuck my son Are you my son did you fuck <laughs> you my, my son did you uh,
3: Yes I am your son and I fuck you <laughs>
0: Uh
3: Always comes back to that,
1: just like the same jokes. I, I love, I love how we can put them in anything, but they work in anything.
3: Well, it, you know, it is to our credit that we have not tried to
1: grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just take the, we just take different movies and films, and then put them into our pre, <laughs> our, our preset kind of template, and then just run through it. Right, here is our set of dumb
3: jokes. Yep. How can we make all this work? Uh, <laughs> the answer volume. Uh, yes. So after she's like, oh, no, I know, I would never fuck jerk face. He's like, Yeah, all right. Well, how about if you happen to see him, mm. you don't mention this to him? And she's like, Okay, I mean, I won't, but I totally, if I did see him for some crazy reason. Yeah, he's <laughs> just like, ugh. all right. So in 1990, they're uh, they're chasing down the leads, but not much is happening. And uh, like everything is just kind of leading to nothing. And one of the detectives says, well, you know, if that's not bad enough, the prosecutors going on Donahue. And this is another great moment where uh, Hay says, the fuck is a Donahue? yeah <laughs> and sure enough it is the attorney general dude uh on donahue talking about missing children and that kind of thing but the big thing is they get a, a hit on matching uh the the was it the bike treads
1: uh, yeah
3: so um there's
1: fingerprints isn't it fingerprints well the fingerprints were in eighty. Yeah, so it's it's the bike the bike trade, um, and that leads them to what's the name of this kid? Eh, some dumbass. Yeah, um, it, but, all I'll right. find it. Yeah, so Freddie, Freddie, Freddie Burns.
3: Okay, so back in 1980, Amelia uh, goes by the Purcell House to drop off some some stuff from uh, the classroom, like just you know art projects and shit like that that the Purcell kids made. And she's like, well, I can't leave them up because they're dead kid art and that can get you haunted. Yep. So she's taking the box back to the mother. And the mother is having a drinking kind of morning <laughs> where it is surely daylight outside and she is de Yep. And they're having a conversation where the mother is like, you know, I, I never knew my mother and I was trying to give my own kids a better life. And she's crying. And Amelia is like, whatever happened, you know, you, you can't blame yourself. You were not, it is not your fault. What happened to your kids? And she's saying, you know, the uh, kids should laugh. And there just wasn't a lot of laughter in this house. Like this wasn't a good house even before uh, they disappeared. And she says, you know, I keep thinking about the 38 I've got in my purse and I just don't have that last little bit of courage. And I wonder how you get that. And uh, Amelia is like, oh, that ain't courage. You shouldn't, you know, shoot yeah, yourself.
1: Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't listen to Nick Pizzolaw. That's not that's not courage. <laughs> right. No, despite everything horrible happening to you,
3: uh, it, look, you haven't been molested yet. And that's yeah. <laughs> for Have true detective. Like the <laughs>
0: mm, that's pretty good.
3: Um, so so Th- then a uh, sad mom sees a plate that says, I heart mom on it. Yeah. And she just break l- completely breaks down and she starts begging for forgiveness. And uh, Amelia, as she's breaking down, is like, look, if you need to say something to somebody, because the way she is breaking down and the way th- she is basically saying not only this is my fault, but like she's begging for forgiveness for the death of her children. Yeah. And, and so Amelia is suspecting, well, maybe she knows more than she's letting on. Yep. And starts saying, you know, like Hayes is a good man and you can talk to him. And she's like, and, and then sad mom kind of perks up a little bit. And it's like, you trying to fucking work me. Yeah. You trying to, what are you trying to do? Get the fuck out of my house and kicks her right out. Bl- yeah blows it but it, it it is a really interesting scene in that maybe the mom had uh, if if not had something to do with it knows something potentially maybe about the uncle since that's been yeah that's
1: that's the way i think it's pebbing.
3: yeah so uh then we cut over to the trash man who is asking some kids uh, to leave their cans I
1: observed asking some kids, Bo. Right,
3: a redneck sees him and decides to get on the horn about the fact that this dude is like... (laughs) It's
1: a literal horn. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a couple of of tin cans with a bit of string.
3: (laughs) Sarah! Get me the posse.
0: (laughs) One minute. Posse 427. (laughs) This is the posse. One minute. Connecting. Is this a posse? We can hear you. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so,
3: um, <laughs> then we, we fast forward to 1990 where Lieutenant Dorf and Hayes are going over sur- the surveillance tapes from the drugstore. Yeah. Um. That the cops at this other department had. That were just sitting on it and, you know, just weren't sharing information and shit like that. And so they're there to get this information. And uh, so we cut away from that to 2015 where Hayes is talking into his recorder about the worst scene of this episode or any scene, uh, (laughs) I guess, of this season, I would argue, where Mm -hmm. he is talking to his recorder about how he's worried that he poisoned his family because of his obsession and he's surrounded by what I presume are people that he killed.
1: Yeah. So what we're finding it is that he, it's not even just that time isn't working for him, but when uh, Amelia appeared um, to him in the previous episode, it's not that he's just reliving things. It appears that he is having hallucinations of people from his past. In, in real time and they're, they're having these conversations with them. In the case of the Amelia one, I thought that was really well done because it kind of threw out these ideas of abstract. It was like kind of uh, almost giving the viewer this kind of acknowledgement that, you know, all these time frames are really important and pay attention because they'll all mean something and they're, they're all conflating into one narrative stream, which is where this story is going. So you need to pay attention to this one. In the case of this one, right, we knew that he was this, well, I can't remember what they called him, it wasn't a bag man, but whatever the term was of what he was in Vietnam, these like people like, were just basically left uh, to to wander the woods for, for days and days. They and would come back out with you know, hands full of scalps uh, of the Viet they murdered. Their point of being in the back here of this scene, I understand the need to do it. It, to me, just feels totally shoehorned in in a way which didn't feel satisfying at all it was yeah I, I will agree with you 100 i didn't know this was the scene you were on about but this is the one scene that didn't fit for me at all
3: yeah i i just feel like it it reminded me of that episode of family ties uh when they did it all like a, a stage play and it yeah. was all like spotlights on the characters, and it was dark uh, elsewhere. It, it's like okay, we're we're completely breaking the reality of the show in some ways to to make this like artistic and metaphorical point about uh, the state of Hayes' perception.
1: Yeah, and if it, this was a stage play, all the lights would have went off except one spotlight on him.
3: Yeah, it just feels a little too artsy fartsy in a weird yeah. way and i i I just don't ultimately think it it works and it's like he's looking out the window and he's like well if that car is there tomorrow night then that means that somebody might be watching you and and yeah i think it's it's
1: it's pestilato's lack of experience i think behind the camera as a director that that scene's in there because to me the rest of it's like a home run and this is a really cool idea which i don't i think in a book setting this idea works really well i think in a in a tv show setting that it, it just it doesn't work
3: yeah yeah i i agree um so anyway we'll uh, try to forget this scene ever happened and then go to <laughs> 1980 where uh they're interrogating the teenagers again this is the the freddie stuff and also to remind you like oh yeah this is totally about the west memphis three
1: oh of. yeah 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 <laughs> and
3: So they're talking to this kid and they're like, hey, we found your prints on the bike and now you are what we like to call completely fucked. Mm. And he's he's like, hey, no, I mean, I don't feel good about this, but I was kind of drunk and I chased the kid around, got his bike from him. He ran off. I started riding his bike around, ran into a tree because I was drunk, bent the wheel, tossed it, and then just wandered back to the party. But I got kind of lost because I was drunk in the woods. And I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. And they're like, really that because right now you are suspect number one in our murder. And <laughs> Hay says, um, was it like, if you don't start telling us the truth, you're going to end up getting like filled with so much black cock, something or other <laughs> <laughs> to the point where the kid just starts crying again.
1: <laughs> yeah starts crying and doesn't stop yeah for what seems like a long time well and apart from this is his go-to intimidation well, line so much so that we had heard him say it like like an episode or, uh, and a half ago uh, something very similar and to the point that d- d-
3: yeah dorf it's not directly actually, after this out. but yeah like the next time we see them in 1980 Dorf the kids still crying, yeah. The kid's crying, and Dorf is like, That's been your go to lately. Uh, is yeah. everything
1: okay? Like, yeah. you, you tell me everything here,
3: yeah. <laughs> it's it's really funny. It's another of those moments I really like where Dorf just because I had thought that too of like, Wow, he really is using that a lot. And then hearing Dorf be like, You're really using that a lot, it was, was a, a nice moment for sure, yeah. Um, so th- after the interrogation. We go to 1990 where Hayes is going through the footage uh, kind of by himself. It seems to be late at night. And then he sees her. Like we, yeah. we have now Julie Purcell on camera. And then we go back to 1980. And we have the repercussions of the, the trash guy talking to the kids where he's walking down the road. So <laughs> the the Reddicks roll up on him. And he just throws his shit down.
1: <laughs> I love this bit, by the way.
3: Takes off his
1: shoes and books it. Yeah. And goes, he goes back to his shack and plants a fucking claymore mine. Yeah, he's got uh, a claymore pointed Attached at the front the door. door. Yeah. <laughs> so with a tripwire. So if someone opens that door, kaboom. He has an AK. Yep.
3: which <laughs> suggests to me, Duncan, this will not be a good day.
1: No, and this is when earlier on we said the comment about uh, that he said to Dorf about taking a bullet. I've got a sneaky suspicion it may happen in or around this scene. Yeah, because because we jump back to the interrogation, which is stopped abruptly when a couple of police officers come, well, one police officer comes out and tells the FBI and Hayes and Dorf that there is a hullabaloo uh, happening up at the the, the, the trash man's uh, house, uh, and they might want to get along there. Um, and Dorf confirms that we're not letting Freddy go because he's still suspect number one, kind of, even though Hayes is like that. Yeah, he, it's not him. Um,
3: yeah, I like his line, like, he's he'll be in jail before he's 25, but
1: not for yes. this. Yeah, not for this. We can tell that. Um and our cops all go racing off. Bo, how does the episode finish? Well,
3: the cops arrive at the the Trashman house. Eric Trashman. Um <laughs> and uh but behind the rednecks who are demanding that this dude come out, or they're gonna yep. come in. And the episode ends with Redneck number one kicking in the front door of the trashman household and then cut to black
1: yeah that's not a good sign that's that's a kablooey
3: right so episode five which we which is out and we have not seen ourselves not
1: seen it not seen it won't watch it until next week either because i don't want to sit in it for a full week so i will watch it the same night i watch episode number six which will be the same night we we play catch up and do our catch-up double episode. Yeah,
3: we'll be doing five and six next week. Uh, Doug, first of all, I I
1: really enjoyed both these episodes, except for the
3: one scene that I thought was real dopey. Um, Yeah, if
1: you can give me two hours of TV and give me what, three, four minutes of those two hours are not satisfying, but the rest is super satisfying, you're on a fucking winner. Thus far, like that is literally the only misstep I think the first four episodes has done. Really? And even then, it's it's just, it, it kind of feels a bit on the nose for me, uh, whereas the rest of the show seems like it's actually been like really well constructed, really well written, and it's been able to play with those ideas of time and illusion and what's real and what's not and what's in Hazy's head. Um, it's, it's handled that very, very, very well. That scene just felt a bit blunt. Uh, but, yeah, I am... I am loving this season. I think it's really interesting. Like I said before, we are at the halfway point for this season. We currently do not know who it was that was convicted in the eighties. We do not know what the outcome of the nineties is. And we're playing catch up to it all in the in the twenty fifteens. And that is that's some ballsy pacing right now. That's some season one pacing where you know our killer isn't revealed until the what the very end of the second last episode? Um, so you know, like, I, I like that, I, I, I really like that. I, I think where we go is going to be, I think we're going to find out who, who was convicted in the 80s probably in the next episode, if not, certainly by episode number six. Um, I think we're going to find out what the outcome of the kind of the the retrial or the appeal case or whatever in the 90s by probably episode seven and then we will find how the show finishes definitely in episode eight i can't wait we've got a whole lot of stories still to go loads have been teased um and it's it's all good but what we know for a fact is that uh episode five there's going to be a firefight um, and if that doesn't always land about the same episode in True Detective, uh, like 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 a clock, like a time. Timer stopped, Bo, on an episode. if You know, he always does it about this point, about the halfway mark. We get some sort of giant set piece, uh, usually involving guns. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the guns, Bo. I'm ready for the guns. Yeah, I... I, I you know, all, although as much
3: as I'm looking forward to this explosion of violence that, that is certainly suggested uh, in, in the next episode, I'm more excited by the little questions that I think could be very big questions like, yep. what is going on with Rebecca? You know, mm-hmm. like, why why is she so estranged? What's going on? Why is, um, you know, the, the kind of cryptic nature of of that relationship I think is interesting. Yeah. Is um, Dorf still alive? I I think that's going to be the case but also it, it, when we see Dorf in 2015 um like is that relationship going to be strained because of something that happened in 1990 that he is not remembering. Yeah. yeah. And and that's what I I kind of expect to happen um yeah it's it's been really interesting uh like i said i'm looking forward to the action stepping up i suppose but i've really been into the sort of you know i I don't want to say it's slow because that's not how it feels yeah it just feels like oh we're we're in the process of discovering um this uh, this crime and and it's unraveling in a way that i'm really enjoying and i like where we are in all the timelines and i've really been just having a good time with it more so than uh season two certainly i'm yeah. really engaged with the mystery component of this
1: definitely and definitely because i we i have something i have something but if you ask me now who who it is that's behind that i could not tell you yeah, I, I think we're going to f- my my
3: early theory is we're going to find our dead-eyed uh suspect w- through the um hiring and firing roles of Hoyt yeah. Foods. Yeah. And that he will be linked to this uh Ozark Children's Molestation Center. And yeah. I like I I just I don't think we're we're setting that up to not have that be terrible,
1: yeah, yeah, I think I uh, yeah, I think there's something there, I think my my guess is that the uncle takes the fallen knees, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's the way it feels like it's going, I don't think the young kid's gonna so I think they'll refocus, but I think the mum's gonna say something and once again, there's people I think people are listening to this episode five's out, they're probably already going, You're so fucking wrong, Duncan. Uh but yeah, I think the uncle probably realistically takes the fall for it um in the eighties, and then there's something that comes out, you know, which which overturns that. Who takes his place? Maybe no one takes his place. You can have an overturned conviction without necessarily prosecuting someone else, and maybe that's what haunts him. And then how, how what the uncle's body was found? What does that mean? Right.
3: Yeah, I mean that's the thing is what if <laughs> I I agree with you. That that's where my theory is leading me, which is the uncle is exonerated in nineteen ninety, he's released, but someone thinks that he is still responsible and kills him. Yeah. And, but we are now led to believe in 2015 that, you know, that, that the the wrong man was punished to begin with or something, you know, like, uh, but I like where it's at. I'm, I'm really engaged with it and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I I don't know that I will wait till uh i i will have
1: to because that's how i consume these things i like watching them because i don't take notes i like watching them right before i record so they're fresh in my mind uh but the one thing i will say is uh yeah twin peaks um is great we love it we should go back and do it from the start um i think that's a given sure i agree Uh, uh, you should be fucking. Um, is yes. the is the theme of this this entire episode? And who would have thought that from the ashes, rising like a phoenix, uh, Nick Pizzolatto would return with anyway? a first half. I mean, we can't obviously say the the back half is going to be as good, but a first half of a brand new season of True Detective that really is uh, the tits is fucking brilliant, and I love it. I love it so.
3: Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm having a really good time with it. So, Duncan, what would you like to uh, promote um, to the audience? Where can they find you? What, what would you tell them to listen to Ooh, uh, in between now and when next we speak low seven days from now?
1: Um, yeah, you should come across and check it. Podcast under the stairs, teapotscast or on Facebook. If you search podcast under the stairs, we will appear. Um, and between now and the next time you hear me on Dunker the Ball, come correct. I'll be dropping Andy Loves Art House episode number four. Um, we are covering Barbarian Sim Studio by the great Peter Strickland, uh, director that both myself and Bo. Kind of love because of Duke of Burgundy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a great He's got idea. a new movie out. He's got a new movie out. I just can't source it in the UK yet. Uh, called In Fabric, which is apparently a, a horror slash black comedy uh, about a haunted dress, which is done in the style of a giallo. That sounds great. Yeah, need to get my hands in that. I think it is available in the states if you're hunting. I think you might be able to find it through IFC. I think was the rumor I heard, uh, but it's certainly not been released in the UK. In Fabric, Pierre Strickland, love them. Uh,
3: yeah, I, th- that is a movie that I I find <laughs> myself returning to, not necessarily to watch. I haven't watched uh the the Duke of Burgundy a ton. Um, sorry, I was looking up In Fabric as we were discussing it. Um. But I think about that movie a lot. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those films that, I, I, despite the fact that there is this kind of bondagey element to the film, it's also one of the most fascinating portrayals of a relationship. Like it, it, uh, whether or not you know somebody's getting tied up and put in a drawer, at the end of the day, there (laughs) there is something so universal about the dynamic that is being portrayed.
1: Yeah, there's there's a kind that is not done with the deft at all, but piercing has a similar position taken on relationships and constructs of rela- relationships and how you need one person of one kind and one person of another kind to make a relationship. Um it's it's very it's very well done. Uh, but yeah, Juky Burgundy, great. I, I think Barbarian Sim Studio is also the tits. I have a sneaky suspicion Andy Blockley will not think so. Um, and you get to hear it on Podcast Under the Stairs. What about yourself, Bo? Uh,
3: yeah, I, I, you can find me over and I'm sorry, I got distracted because I was like, oh my goodness, Peter, uh, oh, what's his name, Strickland, Peter Strickland also directed a lot of Bork, Bjork videos. Oh yeah, that's where he started. Yeah, that's very
0: funny. Oh, Peter! <laughs> Oh, Peter!
1: And be sure you capture the yeah. essence of the lizard.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what any of that means.
1: I, I don't know either. I'm like, it's like, she's a bit more like it's oh so quiet. Um, I
3: look. Oh, so I think cute. Bjork and uh, uh, was it the Sugar Cubes was the, the yeah uh, is is really good shit. So.
1: Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of Bjork, but that's not what we're doing, we're trying to get Bo to pimp his shit. Oh
3: right, uh, so legionpodcast.com <laughs> is where you can find all that stuff. I would specifically point you over to Devour the Podcast, uh, we recently dropped the Blair Witch episode, um, which is a nearly four hour examination of all three movies, the books, the faux documentaries, the comics, the video games... Uh, some of those in more depth than others. I mean, like, like let's be honest, the video games are covered briefly uh, at best. But um, yeah, it's a super comprehensive, like if you want to be a smarty pants that knows everything there is to know about uh, the Blair Witch Project, you should listen mm-hmm. to that episode and then you can sound like a big nerd to all your friends. And when they yes, say things yeah. like, I wonder how they made the Blair Witch Project, you can be like, hey, I heard a podcast once, but I was real fucked up when I listened to it. <laughs> so, I don't remember when I heard it or who said it, but i I kinda halfway remember how the Blair Witch project got made. That is what this show is for, Ben. And you should be fucking Duncan. Um, you should be fucking both. Hey, what are you excited about seeing before we uh, talk next week? What, what movie gets you all, all jazzed Ooh, up?
1: Uh, so yeah, uh, the, the probably the big one. And it seems to be hugely polarizing. Is the Velvet Buzzsaw by Dan Gilroy? Yeah. Uh, it seems to be. It seems to be splitting people right down the middle. I'm hearing it's goofy, um, and I, I, to be honest with you, I'm kind of cool with that. Um, I don't want just Nightcrawler version 2 I want something a bit bizarre so I'll be checking that one out Uh, I have other bits and bobs um, on the the docket for the next week as well but I've got a whole lot of good shit coming up I've got my Fright Fest ticket booked for um, that's the first week in March Um, and the Week before that, I'll be seeing the new movie by Craig Arzala, uh, "Dragged Across Concrete," um, which I'm really looking forward to because that's got some Vince Vaughn and some Mel Gibson. You know, <laughs> soon. Um, and I'll also be going to the UK premiere of "Lords of Chaos," uh, which is getting shitloads of accolades. Which is the 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 book, uh, the fictionalized. Kind of non-fictionalized depiction of um, Vars Vikernes uh, and his uh, church burning and um, all, all the murder and violence that came with that Norwegian black metal scene. So,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm very excited to to see that. Actually, that, that's amazing. it. Looks fucking great. It's yeah, it's a fun story. Uh, yeah, so all lots right. Lots of twists and turns. So yeah, like so we'll, we'll see. I get a feeling that next week. um, I will either be praising lavishly uh, Velvet Buzzsaw, or I will be talking about what a misstep this is for a man that showed so much promise.
3: Uh, I mean, Dan Gilroy, on the, on the back of Nightcrawler alone, gets a pass for a couple of bad movies, if that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Um. So, I, and I'm in the same boat. I need to see Velvet Buzzsaw. I also want to see Piercing, and I want to see that movie Braid, or the the next three on my list and and then you know when i only have an hour to spare um i will probably check out the uh the rest of season two of marvelous mrs mazel which i am uh i don't know if i mentioned it to you duncan i'm enjoying <laughs> that show quite a bit it is it is a a breath of fresh air that's it um <laughs> i i thought you were gonna say something and then i was horribly horribly wrong uh, that's gonna do it for us folks we appreciate it if you you know like and and rate and review and all that stuff the reviews in particular help a, a ton and uh, we'll be back next week to talk episodes five and six of True Detective season three until then say goodnight Duncan night, Duncan, good night, Duncan. <sighs> <laughs> baby
4: when I think about you I think about love about you I think about love darling if I live without you I live without love